get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's the critical times of the game where you have to, we have to have a better understanding that it's not worth the risk, even if it works out. Getting comfortable with a new style of play, but also understanding that when you get into the primary or the, the difficult times of the year, which will be right after the Olympics through and then into the playoffs, hopefully, good teams make you pay for mistakes. If, if, we, don't, if we can clean that up now, we won't make them against the, against the, the teams as the games mean. An intro so fine, you wanted to hear it twice. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Hopefully you guys can hear us. We can hear you. Uh, we are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to be joined by former NHL goalie Mike McKenna to break down the blues. But that is where we begin today's show with Doug, Armstrong com- uh, Doug Armstrong's comments rather on where the blues need to improve. And Alex, this is a team that has played very well for the vast majority of the season, but they didn't look great on Wednesday night against Pittsburgh. That's a quality opponent. And as Doug Armstrong said, they were able to take advantage of some of your mistakes. What do you want to see them improve upon when they're in this critical stretch against quality opponents like Washington, Dallas, Toronto, Nashville, all at home? What do you want to see from this Blues team? This is going to be insane to say, but I want to see what they did in December. I want to see what they did when they had Nathan Walker and Torepchenko and Matthew Pekka in the lineup. I want to see the simple brand of hockey that made them a team that went 7-1-2 and two leading into the Winter Classic. And for some reason, they got away from it in that Pittsburgh game. I want to go back to that. Now, you're taking on a Washington Capitals team that that might not be easy to do because Washington's high-powered, power play's really successful, and you got one of the best players in the National Hockey League right now in Alex Ovechkin. But it's going to come down to playing the smart brand of hockey, not committing turnovers like they were doing to Pittsburgh the other night, uh, playing very smart in your own zone so that you're not creating odd man rushes for Washington, and frankly, not taking penalties. This Blues team did so good. I think they were a stretch about 10 games, BK, where eight of those 10, they only took one penalty. You got to get back to that brand of hockey. It's simple. It's north-south. It's four-check. It's dump the puck, and it's go to work. That's how Craig Berube coaches. That's how the Blues win hockey games. You get away from it, you're going to lose. Yeah, it's weird to say because I know so much of our time has has been spent on the defense. I want to see their offense get back to that game that you're talking about. 
because that's the way that you make things easier on your goalie. That's the way that you make things easier on your weakness right now, which is the guy that is standing next to Colton Pareko on the blue line. And I think Mikola played pretty well for the most part against Pittsburgh. I liked the physicality that he brought to the lineup. And if you check over on The Athletic today, JR had a great write-up on what Mikola had brought to the lineup in that spot in the top four. But I want to see the offense get back to work. You finally have the vast majority of your forwards in the lineup. You're not going to be, you're not going to have Tarasenko out there tonight, and that hurts. But you have lines that look like the identity that you would expect from Craig Burby. So what am I looking for tonight against Washington, Sunday against Dallas, and then certainly as we continue in this stretch against Nashville and Toronto? I want to see the offense get back to work, man. That's the thing that I I missed in that game against Pittsburgh. They had a couple of nice rush attempts, but there was no sustained offensive zone time. That's what I want to see them get back to. And I think they're going to get back to it. And frankly, I'm a little giddy about this game tonight because we're going to see different line combinations. We're going to see without Vladimir Tarasenko in the lineup, you're going to see shaking some things up. You know, you're going to put Braden Shen with Kairou and Thomas. You're going to see Oscar Sundquist in a uh, higher accelerated role on a third line. But the one that I'm really intrigued by is Ryan O'Reilly. This is a guy who has still been one of the best players for the Blues, but he has not been himself. Offensively, he really has not been himself. Craig Berube said yesterday, we got to start getting some scoring, some offense for Ryan O'Reilly. So what does he do? He puts the two Russians that were so good together with Vladimir Tarasenko. If you want offense, I think this is going to be an opportunity for you to see it because they're going to have four lines, three lines deep in this one. That fourth one, I mean, let's let's call a spade a spade here. You're throwing things together without Vladdy, but you got Costin, you got Brown, you got Bozak. Maybe they play the simplicity that Craig Berube is searching for, but I'm with you. I want offense, but hopefully I can start getting some offense from guys other than Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas. On the other side of things, it is interesting to me. Jeremy Rutherford tweeted this out a little bit ago. He said he expects Ville Husso, Tanner's guy, to get the start against Washington tonight. Alex, you had mentioned this after the Pittsburgh game. Because of the way that Bennington performed, you would expect, say, I think Ville Husso's worthy of getting that start. It's been a minute. Go ahead and get him out there. Give him the opportunity against a quality opponent in Washington. You get Bennington back out there on Sunday. I got to be honest, I'm a little surprised by this. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I thought they would have Bennington get right back out there. You fell down a little bit. It wasn't a great finish to that game against Pittsburgh, but for the first 40 minutes, he was the only reason you were in it. Let's see him get right back out there and pick up where you left off. I understand that completely, Uh, and let's not get too crazy with this let's not read into this like oh this is Craig Berube you know punishing Jordan Bennington because of what took place in the third period against Pittsburgh that's not what this is at all look the last time Ville Husso saw a game was on December 7th it's it's been a month since Ville Husso has played a hockey game he was playing well then he got injured and then he was just working his way back then Chucky Sideburns comes through and then they just basically tell him take your time you got to get Ville Husso games and as much as I look at a game against one of the best teams in the National Hockey League as saying, nah, I want to see Bennington play against that team. What's more important, BK? Two points against an Eastern Conference team that, you know what, it's not going to make or break you in the division standings. Or beating the Dallas Stars, who sit seven points behind you, and beating the Nashville Predators, who are in the Central Division. To me, those are more important games. And with two games in three days... I would rather play Ville Husso tonight against a really good opponent, 
see what he can do against that just to make sure he's back up to speed but have Bennington in there against a division opponent so that I get those two points and that's a four-point swing so this makes the most sense to me if I'm Craig Berube I'm gonna let Ville Husso go to go to work on this one I think it makes sense but eventually we need to see Jordan Bennington just retake recapture the form that we've seen from him in the past and it needs to be consistent because we've seen it Alex even in that game against Pittsburgh two out of the three periods he was really good the problem is that's kind of how it's been all year for him. He's really good most of the time. And then there's some of the time where it just doesn't quite look like it's up to form. And Alex, at this point, we are now, what, a th a more than a third of the way through the season for the Blues? Jordan Bennington has started 20 games for the Blues. They are 10-7-3 when he starts. When anybody else starts for them, they are 9-3-2. 10-7-3 when Bennington's in net, so they win 50% of the time. 9-3-2 when he doesn't. When Bennington is in net, they've allowed an average of three goals per game. When other goalies are in net, they have allowed an average of 2.2 goals per game. The numbers are starting to become a little startling because we talk a lot about the defense when Bennington's out there, and we don't talk about it quite as much when the other goalies are out there. I don't know what to make of that, Alex. I'm not trying to say, like, Bennington is the problem for this team and they're not going to be able to win at the highest level when he's out there. Uh, what I am trying to say, though, is they need him to get back to that form because if they're going to win a cup this year, they can't do it, in my opinion, without him reaching that form again. Yeah, and look, this is one of the main reasons why I sat here and said you got to ride the hot hand with Charlie Lindgren at the time because – they were just playing differently in front of them. And look, I think if you're trying to evaluate Jordan Bennington right now, that's the only way I can evaluate it. They're playing different in front of them. Go to the Edmonton Oilers game. The Edmonton Oilers game, Bennington was really solid for them. Stopped 26 of 28 shots, a 93 save percentage. But that was a carryover from how they were playing leading into that Edmonton Oilers game. They were playing simple. They were playing smart hockey in front of their goaltender. Winter Classic gets a little bit away from them, but it's hard to evaluate that because it's a different environment. And they were up by so much late. And then the Pittsburgh Penguins game. The Pittsburgh Penguins game, they had not been in a scenario like this for, for some time. I, I mean, you play the Edmonton Oilers, and what, you won that game 4-2? to two? You were up 3-2, to two and you made it 4-2 to two in the third period. So you were playing simple. I think the biggest issue right now with Jordan Bennington is they're just playing differently in front of them. I think they're... They're under the assumption that he can make the saves if they're not playing that that extra effort in their own zone of blocking shots and throwing their bodies in front of it like they were doing in front of Charlie Lindgren and Ville Husso. So if Husso's in net tonight and they find a way to shut down Washington, watch for the way that they're playing in front of their goaltender because that has to carry over to when Jordan Bennington's in between the pipes. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson back in the studio. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In about 15 minutes, we're going to talk about what the extended lockout could mean for the Cardinals. But next, Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. I want to get his thoughts on where we're at right now with this Blues goalie situation. Mike McKenna has been in that spot. We'll talk to him about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Very happy to be joined by Mike McKenna as we are each and every Friday here on BK and Ferrario. Former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff. Mike, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Man, I'm so excited, and thanks for having me as always. But today, when we get off this call and picking up my daughter from school, getting her home, and we're driving out to Lake of the Ozarks, to play the 8U tournament at Kinderhook outdoors. I can't wait. I haven't done this before. The kids are so excited. The parents are just as excited, man. This is like mega road trip day. First one for my daughter. So I'm in a great mood. I hope you guys are as well. Mike, it's like five Mike, degrees outside Mike, right now. You what gotta, do you mean outdoors? You, gotta explain you guys something sound to like Americans. You know yes. that? You sound like Americans. Mike, I'm you gotta American explain too, something. <laughs> you got to explain something to our boy BK here. He, he doesn't understand the, the love of hockey players of playing outside when it's 10 degrees outside. That's what it's about. No, it's not. This is not if hockey weather. It's not football weather. This is bad weather. <laughs> if you come off the ice and your belly isn't red and your cheeks aren't red, something's wrong. That's the best part of it. You know, like, and it's, it's special, man. Like I grew up with Kirkwood being an outdoor rink. We didn't have a roof when I started playing and then we got a roof, but it was still outside. And yeah, my toes froze sometimes, but <laughs> I look back on that super nostalgic. And now they've got toe warmers and hand warmers, and I've got balaclavas for all our team, for all the kids to put over their heads. So we think we're going to keep them warm. We're going to do our best. But, man, it's, a, it's just about the moment, guys. It's going to be great. Mike, since we're talking about the moment and for how freaking cold it will be for your daughter in this game, what did you make of the Winter Classic? Because there's nothing. But we talked before that Winter Classic of how cold it was going to be. I don't know if I realized it was going to be as cold as Ryan O'Reilly's beard was going to have icicles on it in the middle of the game. <laughs> and they would get equipment from the Green Bay Packers shipped in because they're for used how to cold they are. Cold. Yeah, these games always remind me of, like, I remember when I was a kid, I'd have trading cards. I remember Bruce Smith of the Buffalo Bills wearing, like, a downhill ski suit underneath his football <laughs> stuff. And that's always what it makes me think about is kind of how the players have to get creative. Um, and the outdoor games just make it so much fun. Like O'Reilly with the, the ice in his beard, Johnny Merrill on Minnesota Wild with the mustache, icicles. I mean, you know, to the eye black, all those things. And it's hard to stay warm in these games, you know, but I think the players all really embraced it. You know, you didn't hear much complaining about it. It's just, you went out, they went on, they did what they, they did what they had to do in terms of the weather. And I thought they put on a great game. You know, it was compelling. The blues were the best team in that game. They were way better than the wild, especially through the first two periods, but the wild managed to come back, make that game exciting. It was, it was good TV for people to watch. And I think the NHL just needed a game like that. Like in all this COVID world that's so crazy, the NHL needed a good moment. They got it. The TV show got a big rating. It was a good game. And I think it was a huge game for Jordan Cairo. Arriving on the big stage, everybody knows who he is now. He's a budding star in the league. We said at the beginning of this year when we were talking, who's the guy that's going to break out for the Blues? I said, Jordan Cairo. I couldn't stop him in practice. He's making me look good because I usually look bad. And I'm always happy when somebody makes me look good. So, Mike, it was an awesome moment. It was an awesome night for the Blues and for hockey as a whole. Uh, the issue, though, is that it was followed up by Wednesday night's performance against the Penguins. And you know how this is, right? On the outside, we all we all ride the highs and the lows. We're riding the roller coaster throughout the season of, of uh, okay, everything's good now. Okay, now everything's bad. As a player, you've been in those locker rooms is it like that in the locker room, or is, are, are things more even-keeled on a team than they are for us on the outside looking in when you have the high of the Winter Classic and then the low of that Wednesday performance against Pittsburgh? 
Yeah, you know, the ones, the game against Pittsburgh really was, I mean, it wasn't great, obviously. You know, they, they pretty much hung in in the first period because Bennington was outstanding. And then, you know, I'm watching the second, I'm thinking, man, they're getting some juice here. This this could go, like, Mikko is out there ratting it up, you know, trying to fight Crosby and the Blues scores some goals, and it just, it fell apart in the third. And I think that a lot of it may have even been, this, it's, they just had time off, you know. There was four days in between games. It ran into a buzzsaw with the Penguins, who had won eight straight coming into it. That happens sometimes. It just can't consistently happen. And, and I do think that the Blues have really been trending the right direction, not just from getting players back, but in, how, in terms of how they play. So, you know, if you have one and a half bad periods in a game, I think you can look at it and throw it out the window pretty easily because in the locker room, really, guys, it's pretty amazing, I think, if you could get an inside look as to how consist- consistently players approach it. It's not life or death. But you will always get the one player who stands up before every single game and says, this is a big game. Well, they're all big games, which means none of them are big games, which means they all matter the same. And realistically, by pro hockey, you understand that. But I also understand the fan aspect, man. Fans just live and die by every goal, right? It's, it's a little bit different. Players do know how to manage their emotions in most scenarios, but the Blues didn't do it very well. Look at all those penalties. Look at the complaining to the referees. That's the part of the game against Pittsburgh that I didn't like. Yeah, uh, with, especially, look, when Vladdy Tarasenko leaves the ice because he gets kicked out and breaks a stick on a wall, like, you know something's not right because it's rare you see that type of fire from him. Uh, yep. Mike, we were talking about this in the last segment, and Jeremy Rutherford's reporting that it looks like Ville Husso might get the uh, start tonight against the Washington Capitals, and a lot of people talking about Bennington in that third period. There's no denying the numbers. Uh, there's 16 of his 20 games this season. He's allowed three or more goals. Is it possible, though, for a team to play differently in front of a goaltender like Huso or Lindgren or Hofer or Gillies than if they play or the way they play in front of Jordan Bennington? It's possible, but we can never really pinpoint why. You know, these things do happen over the course of the season, and it's important to keep it in the context of realizing that it's 82 games. And obviously the starting goalie's not going to play all that. You can probably slot Bennington in for playing 50-something, but it will ebb and flow. And sometimes when you look at it on the micro level, you think, man, they're just they're not playing the same in front of him as the other guy. Usually by the end of the year, that tends to even itself out. Um, you know, and I watched Bennington, like that first period was unbelievable against Pittsburgh. And he was so good. And even in the third, you know, the goals that are going in, you're just thinking, what can he do? I mean, I, I think he's been a little bit over-aggressive at times. When I see him in the white ice, I don't like it. I like to see him in the blue paint. It's, it's almost like he's tried a bit too hard in some scenarios. Um, but, but it is true. Like sometimes a team just plays better for a certain player over a span, but I think in the back of the blues heads, you still have the Stanley cup run where you're thinking this guy's money. Bennington's a closer. We know we can win with him. Sometimes you rely on that a little bit too much. You play a little too loose. So I think by the end of the year though, it should, it should even out. I hope it does, but you just never know. We're talking to Mike McKenna here on BK and Ferrario for another couple of minutes. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Mike McKenna 56. Uh, Mike, when I look at what the Blues have coming up, Washington, Dallas, Toronto, Nashville, all on this homestand, that's a really tough stretch uh, of opponents. What do you want to see from them in this stretch? We were just talking about this. I want to get your thoughts about it as well. What do you want to see from the Blues against these contenders that they're about to go up against over the next two, two to three weeks? Well, in a normal world, I'd like to see him grind out a couple of 2-1, 3-1 wins and play some really solid defensive hockey, allow less than 30 shots, limit odd man rushes. 
But I think that's kind of unrealistic in what we've seen. I mean, the scores have been through the roof ever since the NHL came back from the from the holiday break. I mean, going into the break, teams were averaging just under six goals per game. Now it's well over seven. And so I think it's unrealistic to expect the Blues to be able to lock down and play tight defense. But I would like to see him a little more in control. I'd like to see him stay out of the box because that was a real issue against Pittsburgh. Um, but I'd like to see them continue to grow with their line. You know, there has been a decent amount of upheaval within the lines because of COVID, because of injuries. You know, I, are we going to see Tarasenko stick with Barbershev and Bushnevich? Is he going to go with Cairo and Thomas? Like, I think the Blues want to get that locked in and go from there as much as they want to see results. You know, because looking at the schedule, yes, it is a tough schedule. Like, you should beat Dallas. You got to beat Seattle. But man, like Nashville's hot too. This is a hard stretch. And I think if you're looking at the next, you know, let's say two weeks, there's five games. If the Blues win three of those games, I think that's pretty good. But you want to win every game. And I think more than anything, it's the way they play. I'd like to see them be much more tighter defensively. I'd like to see them have better gaps in the neutral zone, pressure down ice a little bit harder, and just be more consistent with it. He's Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie. We have him each and every Friday here on BK and Ferrario, and we absolutely love any time that we're able to catch up with him. Mike, good luck this weekend in the bitter cold frozen tundra out at the Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, From what I understand, that's a Synergy Hockey Tournament, our guy Jamie Rivers. So enjoy it, man, and we'll talk with you again next week. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And you know what? All that matters is the kids have fun. That's the only thing that matters to me and the parents. So we're going to do our best. We'll talk to you next week. You got it. That's Mike McKenna joining us here on 101 ESPN. I like what he said there at the end when he's talking about kind of like we get so focused. We do this with the Cardinals. Same thing with the Blues, right? We're focused on the micro of what are the Blues doing right now? And when you kind of expand your lens out a little bit and you look at what's happening in hockey as a whole, he's right that the scores are just they're higher right now than what they were prior to the pause. And if you're like a Vegas guy, like I'm sure Anthony Stolter is probably looking into all of this stuff on how we can get the betting angle on it. Bet the overs because everything seems to be going over right now. And that we do need to keep that into our focus as well. When we're looking at, okay, the Blues are winning games like five to three and four to two. That's what it looks like right now, as opposed to two to one, three to two. Maybe that's just the way that hockey is going to be played here for a little while. It might be, especially with so many guys being in and out of the lineup and not having the same team on a nightly basis. This just might be how it's going this season. And in all reality, that benefits the Blues because offensively, I mean, we've talked about they've got the offense to just outscore opponents, but you are going to have to big big save when you when you need it. So. Uh, for right now, hopefully this is trending in that direction, but I'm with Mike. I, I think over these next few games, especially with the opponents that they're going to be taking on, Washington, Dallas, Seattle, Toronto, Nashville, uh, I, I want to see them win some games 3-1, 3-2, 2-1. I want to see some of those, oh, this is the Craig Berube style of hockey we're used to. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. You'll see the Blues in action tonight. You'll hear that game right here on 101 ESPN. Puck drop coming up at 7. Alex will have your pregame coverage beginning at 6 o'clock. Coming up in 15 minutes, Ask Me Anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you want to get some Ask Me Anything questions in on the text line. But next, how does an extended lockout impact the Cardinals specifically, especially with the way that John Moselock likes to operate? We'll talk about it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
unless there is a significant change of thought on one side or the other, I don't think there's any chance spring training starts on time. Um, these two sides have demonstrated that, uh, you know, the two leadership groups have demonstrated they don't cooperate, they don't collaborate, um, the conversations aren't going anywhere. Um, it really does feel like, as Jeff Passan said, like the two sides are speaking completely different languages. The idea that they're going to come up with a nuanced labor agreement, I'm just not confident. And I do think there is a chance that the season is going to be delayed. That was Buster Olney before the lockout really got going, talking about how he doesn't see this ending anytime soon. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, it's feeling more and more likely that this lockout is going to stretch into March and potentially even beyond. And if it does, we've talked about what that means for baseball and how much we all hate that idea, of course. What does it mean for the Cardinals, though? Let's say in a hypothetical scenario, this lockout extends, it's mid-March, and finally they're getting close to getting something done. So you're John Mosaylock, you're in his shoes, and you're sitting there and you've got two weeks basically to be able to figure out, okay, what are our plans for trades, for free agency, and getting this club ready to go for opening day? How does that impact the Cardinals' plans in your mind if this does extend into mid-March and you've got like a week or two to finalize your offseason and it is just the Wild West for trades and free agency? I think in terms of other teams, it will impact it in terms of you're going to see guys go for one-year deals, teams maybe willing to spend more money than they're used to. In terms of the Cardinals, I'm really worried that John Mozeliak's going to look at that and say, well, we were handcuffed by a, a shortened offseason because of the lockout and uh, you know what? Well, we feel pretty confident with our team, and if we need upgrades, we'll do that midseason. Like, I, I, I'm I, starting to believe more and more that John Mozeliak looks at the lockout, if it extends, as a possible out to not have to go out there and spend more money on upgrades. It's more of a opportunity and an opening to say, well, we got these guys internally. Let's see what they have because the offseason was so short. See, I think that they're still going to make just one more move, and it's probably in the bullpen. And, and I, I think that's going to be it. I, I think they will kind of dive into the bullpen market. Now, will it be one of those top guys like a uh, Joe Kelly? Maybe, but it, I believe there's going to be a pretty big asking price from those guys in terms of taking the one-year deals because, like you said, it's going to be a fire sale. I expect them to make a move. I don't even know if it's going to be a top reliever, but I do expect them to sign a reliever or two come the free agency when it starts back up, just because I think most built himself in this team up to where he wanted to be when the lockout came. I think he wanted to get that one big starter and he didn't match before the lockout. He was going to, I think he said they had offers on the table for some guys. I think he had some offers on the table. They didn't take him. Now he's in the position of, okay, we don't need to make a bunch of moves. Once this lockout ends, we just need to make one or two small slash little splashes in the bullpen. And I expect that's what the Cardinals are going to do. The thing that I wonder is if this impacts their own roster currently. And what I mean by that is, I wonder if the Cardinals had planned to extend one of their young outfielders. I don't know if it would have been Bader. I don't know if it would have been Carlson. I don't know if it would have been Tyler O'Neill. I have a feeling O'Neill would have been the most likely candidate. Just do that because spring he's, training, though. Uh, yes, but spring training might be two weeks this year. And it might just be different in terms of uh, the way that things are structured than it is typically in years past. I'm not saying that that can't get done. It absolutely can, Alex. Hell, it could get done in the first three weeks of the season. You might get into uh, early May, and it's like, hey, we've got an announcement at Bush Stadium. Tyler O'Neill has been signed to a five-year extension or something like that. That's that's very much in play. But I do wonder if that was part of their plans this offseason and if this pause has changed that a little bit, or at least 
pushed it back a little bit further. And I do wonder how that impacts their willingness or ability to go out there into free agency, because if you were able to get that done now, and you were also able to then go back into the market and figure out, okay, kind of what, what does our payroll look like around that? As of today, they just don't know what it's going to cost to be able to extend Tyler O'Neill. So there's not that certainty with, okay, here's what it looks like the next five years on the payroll with O'Neill or Bader or Carlson. And if you were able to have that done already, you could plan around that. And I do wonder how that's going to change some of their potential moves. But if you look at what their payroll is estimated to be right now, Fangraphs has them at roughly $150 million. They typically are around like 170-ish. So that well, would twenty million dollars. That spend. would allow like fifteen to twenty million dollars in flexibility. <sighs> Go now, get Correa. I don't know if they're planning to utilize all of that. I don't know if they want to keep some wiggle room for in season. Maybe going out there and getting a better player. I'm not sure, but if there are guys that are available, you mentioned yesterday the tinfoil Ferrario theory of, hey, what if you do get to mid March and Trevor Story's there, kind of without a long term deal that he likes on the table. Does he consider a one-year, $20 million deal with the Cardinals to recoup some of his value after a down season last year in Colorado? Maybe. I, I am very curious to see who the players are that end up settling for a one-year contract this offseason if this thing extends further than we expected it to. There was a piece over on The Athletic earlier today, Alex. Jim Bowden, the former MLB general manager, ranked the top 25 remaining free agents out there on the market right now. And a few of the guys that he did not connect to the Cardinals, because he connected each of them with specific teams that he thinks would be good fits for them. He did not connect Trevor Story to the Cardinals. He did not connect Nick Castellanos to the Cardinals. And Ryan Tapera, who's been connected to them by Katie Wu and others who are kind of trying to connect the dots of which uh, free agent relievers would make sense here. He was also not connected to the Cardinals by Jim Bowden. You know who you didn't say? Kyle Schwarber. So these are the five. Out of the top 25 free agents that Jim Bowden did connect. T-Bone hit the open. No, 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 no. This is not a BK buildup. The top five players that he connected to the Cardinals. God, no. Kyle Schwarber. Oh, yeah. My guy, Nelson Cruz. Too old. Joe Kelly, who we've talked a lot about. Colin McHugh, who we've talked a lot about. And Zach Greinke, who we've had a million different conversations about. It's interesting because the guys that we've had most of the conversations about a national analyst is also starting to connect to the Cardinals. Which one of those, if any, do you find the most interesting, Alex? Schwarber. Schwarber, 100%, all the way for me. And I, I, I'm i warming up to the idea of Nelson Cruz wouldn't be disappointed if they signed the guy, but Kyle Schwarber's the one for me. Left-handed, can't hit leadoff, can't hit middle of the order, looking at possibly 40 bombs. He would be the one that is the most ideal to me. But right below him, I'd have Colin McHugh. I'd like to see that in the uh, I'd like to see that in the bullpen in the uh, utility of him being a long arm or somebody that could be later in the innings. He feels very Cardinalsy to me. He does. He, like not not a sexy signing by any stretch, but once you start diving into the numbers, you're like, dang, this guy was really good last year, and he was a he has the pedigree. He was one of the top prospects at a time with the Astros. He's a he's a highly talented pitcher who could come in right away and stabilize what you have in the bullpen, and he could be a swing player for you. Everybody nationally that's saying the Cardinals need a starter, he's not a typical starter, but he can fill the role of an opener. Yeah, he was a Wade LeBlanc. He could do that for you. He could give you three innings to start out a game if you want to bridge that gap and you've got a day where you, you don't feel great about your starting options. He could be that for you. So he, he makes a ton of sense in my mind. Tanner, which of these stands out to you in your, in your mind? 
I think to me it's going to be Kyle Schwarber as well, just because he seems to fit what the Cardinals are need is a left-handed bat, provides an impact bat in that lineup, can hit right-handed pitching, which the Cardinals desperately need in my opinion. The one that I find intriguing in terms of I'm shocked to kind of see him on the list here is Zach Greinke, because I just don't I don't see the need for another starter, and I don't know who he takes the spot of. Is it a Dakota Hudson? Is that how you limit Hudson's innings? Is you go sign a Zach Greinke and kind of have him start for a majority of the season and have Hudson come out of the pen. I just don't understand where Grinky would fit in this rotation. I, I don't know if he makes any sense for the St. Louis Cardinals. And he wasn't as effective last year with the Houston Astros, dealt with some injuries as well. I don't know if you want – I know the Cardinals had like the old man rotation last year at the end of the year. I don't know if you want to do that again huh. this year. Yeah, I think they would like to stay away from it if possible. I, I'm with you. I'm not sure that it makes all the sense in the world, but, hey, man, I'm here for covering Zach Grinky for a season. Let's get to Schwarber for a second. Do you guys think Cardinals fans would like watching Kyle Schwarber play baseball? The reason why I ask that is because he feels Matt Carpenter light to me. If you look at some of his numbers, the way that he produces, he doesn't really hit doubles. He never hits triples because he's slow. He doesn't hit for a very high average. He walks a lot, but this is a pure slugger with a high on base percentage that you would be adding to the middle of the Cardinals order. Does that sound like the type of player that Cardinals fans would typically enjoy watching? Like he is Paul DeYoung with a higher on base percentage. If he's successful, why wouldn't, I mean, that's what people want to see. Right. And to me, I don't know. To me, that lineup has a whole lot of the polar opposites of Kyle Schorber. They have one Kyle Schwarber, and Tyler O'Neill's trending more in the direction of, you know, doubles and speed and contact and uh, batting approach. Like you just you don't have that that pure slugger, and I think you I, I think you might need that in your lineup. I think you might need that legitimate threat to go with a couple of other guys. I think the Cardinals fans would like him. The pro- I kind of agree with BK though. There is kind of that. Carpenter effect where I mean you look at his year in 2020 he was not very good I mean he, there nobody been, was good in 2020 there were some people that were good in 2020 somebody yeah, wanted MVP. we're not good now I'm willing to write that off just because it, it was such a strange season and I do think he's one of the more like he's an intellectual hitter where he's looking at a lot of film and you weren't able to do that in 2020 so I'm willing to write that off but even if you do like I know we write off batting average all the time. I am one that does it, but Cardinals fans uh, are not all doing that. He hit 238 in 2018, 250 in 2019, 265 last year. He's just not a guy that has a particularly high batting average. Typically he strikes out about 30% of the time, the way that he's able to make up for that though, he's got a really high on base percentage because he walks so often, but walks aren't sexy. Cardinals fans didn't like Matt Carpenter, at least a certain segment of Cardinals fans didn't, didn't like Matt Carpenter because he struck out, had a lower on base percentage and he took too many walks. I I wonder if there would be some frustration with Kyle Schwarber mid season because of the style of hitter that he is. And that's why when I mention Nelson Cruz, and I understand that he's old, you guys are absolutely correct in that. But if you're looking at the way that he succeeds as a hitter, he's very different than Kyle Schwarber. I do think he succeeds in a way that will be more aesthetically pleasing for Cardinals fans than Kyle Schwarber as a guy who strikes out a lot, gets a really high on base percentage from a bunch of walks, but he runs into home runs quite a bit, so Cardinals fans would enjoy that part of it. I I think if you're looking for the better fit with the way that uh, Nelson Cruz plays, I think it's actually Nelson Cruz in this lineup. 
I, I think Cardinals fans would like Schwarber because of what you mentioned, where he has that power potential. Because let's not forget, this year in Washington, I can't remember what the number I think it was he homered in seven straight games, eight straight games. I think Cardinals fans would actually enjoy that, especially because we're seeing the power numbers drop down here in St. Louis because of the way the ballpark is playing. Schwarber can kind of provide that spark. I can't really think of someone that went on a tear like what Schwarber did at the Cardinals. I mean, of course, Goldie was hot at the end of the year, but he didn't hit seven home Tyler runs in seven straight games. Ty- Tyler O'Neill is a guy that would have the potential to do it and went on a tear himself. So it's basically adding that. Are there going to be times where you look at him and you go, oh my gosh, he just strikes out so much and his average is way down? Yeah, but I think he can recapture a fan base because he's that kind of guy that can just go on one of those runs in June, July, August, September, whenever, and provide that spark that kind of brings that buzz back to the ballpark. Oh my gosh, Kyle Schwarber's hit a home run in seven straight games. I apologize if you said this, but what's his with runners in scoring position? I could look it up because uh, that's one thing that I'm I, that's one thing that I think is absolutely necessary because at times last season we saw guys struggle with runners in scoring position. You need a clutch hitter. And the other thing while you're looking it up, BK, is he produces in the postseason. And I, I don't know how many postseason games Nelson Cruz has played in over his last few years, but I know Kyle Schwarber has been very productive. And as we saw against the Dodgers, I need somebody who can play in big moments. Yeah, I. He only hit 309 with runners in scoring position last year. Schwarber? Hit yeah, 309. 309. Really? With a OPS okay, that, of. That's what's outstanding. That, what, what's high score mean? Did I break it? He, he was great last year with runners in scoring position. If that's what you get out of him, then yeah, Cardinals fans are going to love him. Uh, and you, you guys are absolutely correct about the postseason thing. Like, there is, there is no rebuttal from me on that. I also wonder 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. This is interesting. Uh, from the three one four guys, Nelson Cruz, two thousand eleven. Move on. We don't want him because of that. Okay, get the hell out of here about that. <laughs> I do wonder what say if there is a segment of Cardinals fans. I don't know how big that do look at it as the two thousand eleven thing, and that's why you don't. Why he or at least you. a portion of why you don't want. Why him. he helped you win a World Series because he couldn't catch a ball. He's never going to play a corner outfield spot for you, and he's going to hit forty five bombs in the middle of your order. I. I that is not what hold, what is holding me back from Nelson Cruz of, oh, well, he was uh, against us in 2011. No, what's holding me back is the fact that he has to hold himself up on a uh, walker. That's what's holding me back on Nelson Cruz. That's what does it. You're worried up. about Schwarber being slow running the bases. I don't think Nelson Cruz can run the bases. Yeah, that's fair. By the way, Nelson Cruz in his postseason career has an OPS of 980 with a 280 batting average. So uh, he he's done pretty well in the postseason himself. But was that back at the... Front of his career, or was that in the twilight of his career? I mean, it's all of it. He's just like, a really Was he in a nursing home when he hit those <laughs> 900 OPS? With Alex Ferrario and Taylor Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to catch up with EJ Raddick of NHL Network. Want to get his thoughts on the Blues thus far and when he thinks the trade market could heat up. But next, we typically do questions and answers. We do it a little differently on Fridays. Let's get into some Ask Me Anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Ask us anything next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service sex line. That open that you just heard is not accurate. This is not questions oh, and answers. This is, the, this is the totally different segment that we do on Fridays called Ask Us Anything. Bring it. Doesn't have to be sports. Can be sports, though. Could be anything else. 
Uh, we are happy to answer any of your questions on the text line. Yeah. Basically, reason. all three of us take truth serum. I told you last Friday about an awkward scenario at a uh, high school dance with me and a former uh, date. So ask me anything. BK, T-Bone, we'll all answer it. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll be joined by EJ Raddick of the NHL Network. Let's start with this one from the 314. Hey, BK, what sports does your new bride enjoy watching? Uh, the answer is basically nothing. <laughs> I, the, nice. the thing that is in some ways great about our relationship is she's not a big sports fan. Alex, your your wife's the same, same. way, right? Yep. Like I think it helps me that she's able to balance me out and that we don't really have conversations about sports very often. Yep. She's not interested. Like she'll go to Cardinals game. We're going to the Blues game tonight. By the way, if you guys see me out there, feel free to say hello. Would be happy to talk feel with you. Free to throw nachos at him. Or on him. But, yeah, in general, not a huge fan of sports. Yeah, my wife, Katie, exact same way. She's a Cardinals fan, but she likes the Cardinals going to games. She doesn't like Cardinals watching the games. Hockey, she has grown to love because, obviously, it's a huge passion of mine. But she despises football. Like, despises it. Like, when fantasy football season comes around, she hates it so much because Sundays are usually like our off days because Blues don't play on Sundays. So Sundays are usually like the days that I'm home to where we can sit and, you know, we take our time in the morning. We go to church. We get breakfast. We come home. No, it's, hey, got to be home because football's on at 12 and I got to be in front of red zone. So, yeah, she hates the 18 weeks in uh, in football season. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Hey, guys, if you could take a trip anywhere for a weekend getaway in the United States, where would you want to go, especially if it's a place that you've never been? Where's somewhere that you've never been in the U.S., Alex, that you would like to take a weekend getaway to? Does it have to be where I haven't been? Because I'd love to go to Vegas for a weekend sure. getaway. Sure, yeah, that's fine. But if it's a place I haven't been to, um, man, I don't know. There's a ton of places. Like, I've never been to South Carolina, and I've heard South Carolina and Myrtle Beach, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I've heard that's incredible. Um, have never been, this is going to sound really weird, but I've never been to Oregon. And I've heard Oregon is like one of the coolest places One to go of the to. places on my bucket list. Yeah. They have a great beer scene. I would love okay, to go well, to Oregon. I'm not an alcoholic, so that's <laughs> not why I want to go there. I was thinking more scenery. And then this is going to sound crazy too, Maine. Oh, I'm going next year. That's Are you actually really? that's actually what I was going to say. Will you give me some maple syrup from Maine? So next fall, because I have unlimited vacation days, um, Tom Carroll, the former morning show producer, he's getting married out in New Hampshire. So we are making a trip out of it where we fly into New York and then we drive up to New Hampshire. We're going to Boston and then we're going to finish out in Maine. So I've never been to the New England area. It'll be my first time going to the Northeast. Will you give me some maple syrup? I That's Vermont, I believe. Okay, yeah, well, that uh, is literally right next to Vermont. So you can but, make a stop there. Yeah, I, I would be happy to bring you back something to my trip. The other one, that's my answer. I, I would love yeah. to take a trip and I can't wait to do so next fall up to the Northeast. The other one, I have never been to D.C. and I am a history nerd. So I really want to go to D.C. DC but cool. I... I've been told it's not a weekend. Like, you got to go yeah. for an entire week for, for everything that you want to see. So those are some of the places that I want to go. Tanner, you've at least been to five different cities in the U.S. You're 12. What, what yeah, would you like to do? St. Louis, yeah. Springfield. The Smithsonian, Branson, by the way, for Memphis, Ario, for Washington. Memphis. If you do the Smithsonian, I recommend two dates for the Smithsonian. Oh, yeah, that's what I've been told. No, he didn't go to Memphis, BK. Remember, you didn't uh, invite him to the yeah. bachelor party? Thanks. Awkward. subjects. I, I think one place I really want to go, and I've been trying to push for family vacations to go here, but we'd have to fly and nobody in my family wants to fly, would be Seattle. I don't know why, but I really want to go out to Seattle, especially during football Big season. Big Kraken guy, huh? Yeah, well, you know. Big what? 
I, I want to oh, go. I want to go to oh. Seattle during football wow. season, and I want to go see the baseball stadium. I've seen 15 Major League Baseball stadiums, and the farthest west one I've ever seen was Colorado. And I want to kind of hit some of the West Coast places, Seattle, and I'd probably say LA is up there for me as well. Can you imagine T-Bone on the West Coast? Oh, oh, baby, just Beverly Hills style. Watch out. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything uh, from the six three six. BK, are you in the press box tonight, or should we be on BK Watch? I will not be. In Everyone the press on box BK tonight. Watch. I am one of the common men. I will be sitting. I would imagine. I actually don't know where Kara got us our seats. Uh, I would imagine somewhere on the upper deck. So hey, probably wearing a royal shirt to the game. Adelaide's going to her. Adelaide's going to her first Blues game on Sunday. There you go. First Blues game for Adelaide. We're going to see if she enjoys it. We have uh, those noise-canceling headphones. Uh, I highly doubt she's going to be smiling for more than five minutes. Somebody on the text line said, how do you get unlimited vacation days? Guys, I'm kidding. I don't actually have unlimited vacation days. Feels Although like sometimes I understand that it feels that way. Yeah, he has unlimited vacation days. Uh, final one here from the 314. Guys, what is your favorite documentary that you have seen, or is there one recently that you enjoyed? Alex, are you a big documentary? Guy I on am. I'm, I'm huge on that. So someone from the 314 actually just asked if I had seen the the uh, the one the the mob guy that owned the Dansbury Trashers. Have seen that. Loved that one. I was just telling BK during the break. I saw a documentary last night on Hulu, and I was just cap- captivated by it. It was a documentary on the basically evolution of the the the, the television channel Nickelodeon. So, like, it started from where they came up with Nickelodeon and then it evolved into how it got to what it is today. It was like two and a half hours of just nostalgia, and I loved every second of it. So, we just finished up one, actually. It's not my favorite, but I think it's probably worth uh, checking out. It's about a... a serial killer up in New York and it kind of goes through the history of Times Square which honestly I didn't know a whole lot about. I would highly recommend that one. That's over on Netflix as well. So uh, there's a bunch of them though. I'm, yeah. I'm a big, uh, Huge big fan of Netflix in general. So send some rec- recommendations our way. Documentaries on Netflix in general. Coming up in 15 minutes we'll get to our weekly football pick. Um, Tanner actually had a good week last week. What? So we'll let, let him make his picks first coming up at 12.15. But next EJ Raddick, senior reporter for the NHL Network. He's going to give us his thoughts on when we could start seeing the trade deadline heat up, EJ Raddick next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 10 minutes, we'll get to our football pick on where Tanner is actually coming off of a good week for the first Ooh. time, I think, in two months. We'll Ooh. do that in about 10 minutes or so. But right now, we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by our friend and the senior reporter for the NHL Network. He is EJ Raddick joining us here on BK and Ferrario. EJ, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing this afternoon? Hey, I'm good. I'm doing well. You guys are just here talking about football picks. I just won my fantasy football league thanks to uh, Najee Harris late touchdown run in the Steelers game against the Browns on Monday. So I'm feeling good about football too. So EJ, was it a nail biter or was it one that you kind of figured it was a clear cut victory? Because mine was a nail biter and I lost. It was a nail biter and it was a good like it was a game with my opponent where he scored a lot. He was putting up touchdowns left and right on Sunday, and I had two players left Sunday night and Monday. I had Devontae Adams and Najee Harris, and they both came through for me. And if if Najee Harris doesn't score there on that last, I guess, second-to-last offensive play for the Steelers, Uh 
I don't win. I don't win. So that's a crazy finish. So I'm very, very lucky and Those happy the to bats. avoid. And Peyton Manning, and, oh, as he was oh, running, was oh, just oh. saying, go down, go down, go down. <laughs> that's all he could keep doing. And EJ standing that. there at his house saying, no, please <laughs> go! keep running. Let me, let me tell you, that Peyton Manning could keep his thoughts to himself. I mean, it was no <laughs> need to go down. Go! Go! What's Peyton Manning ever accomplished? Yeah, what has really? he done? That, He's never run the ball. That's the truth. Listen, EJ, you, Peyton, you, when you're playing, you do what you want. Let Najee go in. <laughs> EJ, I did want to get your thoughts on the St. Louis Blues. We talk about them each and every day here on the show, but I, I always like getting the national perspective because you get come through this with more of a 10,000-foot view. What are your thoughts on what the Blues have accomplished thus far? They're 19-10-5 going into tonight's game against uh, the Washington Capitals. Well, it was a great start, I felt, uh, to the season. They had some COVID issues. They had seemingly – it seems like the Blues have had COVID issues for the whole two years. Every, at every turn, they've got a situation with that. So, but um, as I guess we all have. But um, it was a good start. They had some injuries. They had the COVID issues. They struggled a little bit. Kind of – regain their footing and uh i think they've been terrific it was a tough one the other night against the the uh the penguins because let's face it i mean the penguins are, are rolling right now so uh they found a way to win that game it was a heck of a contest uh i think the blues off their hands full again tonight with the caps but you know this is a good team i mean i think i'll be curious to see what doug armstrong decides to do at the deadline i think they could probably use another bigger stronger defenseman to fill out that group. I mean, when they won the Cup a couple of years ago, you had Boom Easter and Petrangelo and Edmonton. Those are three bigger guys. They're not quite as big back there now. Uh, a guy like Ben Sherratt would be somebody that would be on the radar for a lot of teams. So I think he could be a really good fit for St. Louis. But, um, you know, I like their group. And like all these teams, guys, it comes down to, you know, is Jordan Bennington going to be really good when he, when he has to be? And he's done it before, so he has to lean on. So, EJ, we, we've talked about these defensemen, and we've seen some names in the rumor mill. I mean, Jacob Chikrin's name, of course, has been out there for the last couple of weeks. Ben Sherratt, who you named as well. Are there other guys that come to mind, and do you feel like if the Blues are able to acquire a defenseman, that's what transitions them from being maybe a dark horse contender to a elite contender for the Cup? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean they're one of the – what it was Tampa that won two, and then you know uh, St. Louis won, Washington won, Pittsburgh won, right? So over the last six or seven years, those are the teams that have won. St. Louis has a lot of the same pieces. They've had some young players that have, you know, have come through their system and are more prominent in their mix right now, like a Cairo and Thomas and, and some of those guys. So you know, I I just think that you know when I look at it, when they won, they were just so big and strong on defense. I mean, they were just hard to deal with. I mean, you had Breco and Petrangelo. I mean, on that right side for half the game. I mean, it pretty much shut down one side of the ice. The group they have now is, I think, a little bit more offensive minded and a little bit uh, probably a little more skilled, but not quite as big and hard to deal with. So I think you're always looking for that balance. You know, so for me, Sherrod is a gettable guy. Chickering is a tough one because he's a really good, talented young player. But you're going to have to – I would have to – I would think you'd have to give up a lot to get a to get a uh, Jacob Chickering. I mean, he's just a high-end player, a young player. He's got really good contract. And, you know, I, I just think that's a hard one to pull off for a lot of teams, really. So, you know, for me, I look at Sherrod. He's got an expiring contract. He might be somebody that – 
he were able to, to make a deal with Montreal and bring him in. There's there's probably some others around the league, but uh, you know he's the one that comes to mind right away. He was in a Cup final last year. He's just big and strong and and hard to play against, and the kind of guy that can help you in situations when you're trying to nail down a lead late or kill penalties. We're talking to EJ Raddick, senior reporter for the NHL Network, and you can watch him on NHL Now weekdays at 3 o'clock Central. EJ, sticking with the trade deadline discussion, uh, it's not for another two months, two and a half months, really. We've got March 21st is the drop-dead date for the deadline. When do you think activity will really start to pick up? Are, Are there conversations being had now, or are we still a little ways away from those really starting to pick up? Oh yeah, there's conversations being had. There's groundwork that's been that's been being laid to probably the draft on players and situations and you know, teams wanna they get through the first fifteen, twenty games of the season, see where they're at. Uh, you know, we've had some managerial changes, we've had some coaching changes. I mean, there are conversations going on for sure. And as teams kinda get defined as teams that are probably rebuilding or looking at uh, kind of a little bit of a lost season this year for whatever reason. You know, those are the teams that are looking to sell, and then you have obviously a bunch of teams that think they can, you know, like St. Louis, that are closed and think, you know, hey, maybe one more player could could kind of push us over the hump here. So, you know, I, I think those conversations are always ongoing, and I think they're picking up now. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, some teams are feeling is like we want to – there's somebody we really want. Let's try to bring them in early to give them as much time – a group and to kind of acclimate him to team the community thing. That said, there's salary cap implications and that play into this as well. And some hold off it's because they're looking to spend as little as possible to pick up as little as possible on a remaining contract. So there's a lot of things that play into it now with such a business with the, with the cap and with a really a flat cap over the last couple of years and. You know, the, the challenges that we've all had in different businesses certainly has been no different in the National Hockey League. So there's a lot of conversations going on, and, you know, it, it sometimes becomes a domino thing, but I think it'll be very active. It's just a matter of time to when it begins, and then I think in that run-up to March 24th, I think you'll see a lot of movement. EJ, you've seen Doug Armstrong do his job well throughout his career in the National Hockey League, whether it was with Dallas or throughout his tenure here in St. Louis. We've talked internally about how it feels like this is an all-in year if you're Doug Armstrong. Regardless of the prospects or the asking price, this might be an opportunity to pay it and get somebody to help this team go for a cup. Do you see it that way with St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, I think they've got players that are in the middle – the middle end of their career, right? I mean, guys who are into their late 20s, early 30s that are important players for their team, the time to win is now. I I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think you just – I mean, Doug is shrewd, and he's been a smart guy over many, many years in in making these moves. And I don't think you could give away the house to, uh, you know, to get one piece. But I think think he's willing to to deal and and willing to give up something – of value depending upon who he can get in return. I think he knows what he's got there. He's got a good team. He's got a team that could win. I mean, the the Western Conference is tough. I mean, the whole league is tough. I think of the playoffs is tough now. I mean, it's not like it used to be. I mean, in that, and especially in that division with, you know, Colorado, Nashville's playing really well. Minnesota had a good start. Now they're struggling a little bit. Dallas has missed a lot of games, but they're still, to me, a dangerous team. I mean, the, it goes on and on in that division. It's tough, and 
you know, in the other in the other uh, division in the West, I mean, you've got the Vegas Knights sitting there. When they get Jack Eichel back, I mean, that's and they get him into the mix. I mean, that's going to make them even more of a monster to deal with. So the Blues are right in there, and I, you know, Doug is smart. He's a shrewd guy. I think that he knows what he's got there as a good team, and if he can help that team this year, I think he's willing probably to do a little bit more than he might under a different circumstance. EJ, final one for me, and we appreciate your time as always. Uh, how do you view the Blues ranking this central division? I know they sit in second place right now. It might be third with Colorado's victory uh, last night. Uh, do you view the Blues as a top three team in the central, or do you think they might be on the outside looking in? No, I think they are a top three team. I mean, they're, they're, they know how to win. I mean, they've got it done. They've won a Stanley Cup. They, they're a hard team to play against. Uh, but like everybody, I mean, as I just said, it's this is a hard league now. It's tight. It, there's a lot of parity. You know, you saw what happened when St. Louis, you know, when Shen went out of the lineup for a few games and, you know, Pareko goes down. It doesn't take much. You miss a guy, one guy in that lineup can, can make it, uh, you know, problematic. The Blues want to play a certain way under Craig Berube. As I said, offensively, I, I mean, they're loaded throughout their top, you know, they're, they're 12 forwards. They are loaded in that area. And so the question becomes for me, I mean, are they going to be in those games when it's tough and you have to defend? Are they going to be good enough and tough enough, physical enough in the D zone? And will Jordan Bennington, you know, play as well as he did a couple of years ago when they need him to? So, you know, that's why I'd say another defenseman would be a good a good addition for them. But, uh, you know, this is a really good team. All things being equal, I mean, this is a really good team and, you know, Colorado is kind of a beast. They've played fewer games, or else they'd probably be sitting in first place in that division right now. But, uh, you know, I think St. Louis, if they're healthy, uh, they can challenge Colorado. So, you know, we'll see uh, where it plays out. And you got Nashville, who's, who's been playing great lately, and got your, your, uh, UC Soros, who's been one of the best goalies in the league for the past, like, you know, 10, 11 months. And, uh, you know, when you have a guy like that playing that well, boy, now you have a puncher's chance. So it's a good division. There's a lot of good teams. Minnie's good. Dallas is good. You go right on through to the, you know, the bottom. It's tough. It's, you know, Arizona, Chicago. It's, you know, those are rebuilding teams, it seems to me. But, uh, you know, at the top of that division, those top five, five or six teams, tough. He's EJ Raddick. You can check him out on the NHL Network. You can follow him on Twitter at EJ Raddick underscore NHL. And, of course, watch him weekdays at 3 o'clock on NHL Now. EJ, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us before we go into this weekend. Enjoy all the hockey this weekend. We'll talk with you again soon, man. All right, you got it, guys. Take care now. Absolutely. That's EJ Raddick joining us here on 101 ESPN. I think the theme of the conversations we've had over the last couple of days, Alex, we've talked to a few different really good NHL insiders and analysts. It's just it's a gauntlet right now getting into the playoffs, much less actually being able to make it to the end of the road in the Western Conference. And I do wonder how much that's going to play into some of Doug Armstrong's decisions. I mean, you heard it there from EJ, and it's it's kind of what I was saying yesterday I don't know if Jacob Chikrin is going to be the guy. Would I like to see him on on the Blues? Of course. But it all comes down to the cost. And if you're telling me it's going to cost me neighbors, Perunovic, multiple first-round picks, plus another either player or prospect, it's just a lot. And when it doesn't necessarily guarantee you that you're going to be the last team standing in the Western Conference, it's just hard for me to say, okay, that's worth it, as opposed to maybe you get 85% of the player and maybe even a better fit 
with somebody that could be available for a second or third round pick, and that's all you got to do, and that maybe they are on an expiring deal. Yeah, that's the only hesitation that I have, and not really hesitation because if you can do it, do it, but I just wonder if this is the year to go all in. And as much as you want to say it is, because it's such a gauntlet right now, do you want to take the chance of selling off assets and getting somebody and then getting bounced in the second round because this is such a good team? Like, I remember back in the 90s, remember how good Detroit was? And every time it felt like Detroit was your cup champion, Colorado's there, it's going to knock you off. So it's just going to come down to, I think, if Doug Armstrong's going to make a move, I would imagine it's going to be in February because you don't want to go to March, you don't want to go to the trade deadline and then have to pay the high price when it comes to a, um, you know, basically you're you're just auctioning off this player and, and you're going to have to pay a hefty price. But if you can get a move done in February where maybe you give him a deal that says it's not going to get better than this come trade deadline time and you get that player acclimated, that's where I think it's going to happen for the Blues. I just don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, it's it's tough, man. You, you've called the uh, the Nashville Predators. You've said that they're doing a competitive rebuild, right? Where technically they're they're supposed to be in a rebuilding process uh-huh. right now. But they did so while keeping a lot of their, their stars. And they said, you know what? We're, we're not going to tank. We're not doing what the Coyotes are doing. We're going to stay competitive and also rebuild while doing so. I think some of that is what the Blues are doing. Like, they're playing a little bit of both sides of the fence. They're, they're pulling a BK here where it's like, okay, yeah, we would like to have ever. our cake and eat it too. We want to keep those young players, those stars that we think are in the making. And also, yeah, we do want to go continue to improve our roster because we want to give ourselves the best chance to win in 2022. Excuse me. It's got a little bit of the John Mosellock vibe to it. That's that's kind oh, of the way no. that he tends to build. Oh, no. Alongside oh, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I said the dir- dirty words. We'll come, well, coming up we'll in about 15 minutes. How so. hesitant would you be to trade the Blues' top prospects? We're going to get into that conversation a little bit further at 1230. But next, our football pick including Tanner Hendrickson coming off of a winning week. Who could have seen this one coming? We'll do it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to have you as part of our day here on BK and Ferrario. In about 15 minutes, we're getting back into the blues. Jamie put out three defensemen yesterday on the fast lane that he thinks are worthy of a look for the blues. He's we'll tell you who they are three? coming up at 1230. Nobody but right now, three. man, I can't believe this. Tanner Hendrickson won our picks last week. Oh, yeah. He went two and one. Alex and I both went one and two. And on the season, Tanner's starting to catch up with me, man. Okay, guys, sing it with me. We are the champions. friend. Not you, Ferrari. Hey. I won last week. Hey, okay. 16 and 22. You oh, need four more wins. You didn't have to bring that up. BK is in a better position than you right now. I, I am. I'm, I'm about a game and a half up on Tanner right now. He's 16 and 22. I'm 17, 20. And one 
push on the season. Alex, though, has been the leader on the year. 20-17-1 and one is Alex's record. So, lucky. since Tanner won last week, he gets the first pick. We've got nine games this week. We've got the College Football National Championship on Monday. We've got tonight's Blues game because there's only so many NFL games that are worthwhile. And the seven NFL games. So Tanner's going to pick first. Alex picks the second overall pick. I will go third and fourth with the snake draft. Tanner, who you got as your first pick for the Pick'em this weekend? Guys, NHL's here for the first time on the Pick'em. I'm going to be the one who takes it with the first overall pick. Huso's in net tonight. That means it's a dub for the Blues. Bounce back alert. Give me the St. Louis Blues. They're taking down the Washington Capitals. No Backstrom, no Oshie. It's a dub tonight for the Blues. Wow. I will uh, I will back T-Bone's bet for the first time in the history of this game. Who could have seen this one coming? Alex thinks the Blues are going to win. Oh, my God. Oh, now I don't feel so good about it. <laughs> okay. I hate both of you more than I did. I like the pick. Yesterday. Um, I'm going to, well, I'm going to the NFL because there's only one college football game and uh, that one scares the bejesus out of me. So I'm going to Titans-Texans, and I'm picking Tennessee minus 10. That seems like a hell of a, bit, a hell of a point spread, but Derrick Henry's coming back. If I'm not mistaken, Tennessee has a shot to be the AFC champions. If All they, they got to do is win this game. I think it's going to be a blowout against Houston. I'm taking Tennessee minus 10. So the interesting thing about this one is that uh, – Tennessee lost earlier this year against the Houston Texans. Oh boy, that means so it's going to be a grudge match. I I would imagine. I'm. I mean, everybody's expecting the Titans to win, but for whatever reason, the Titans uh, didn't match up well with them in the first game. So I'll, I'll be interested to see if that happens once again. And very quietly, Davis Mills has actually maybe been the most impressive rookie quarterback this season that I've watched. Mac Jones, if you fl- if you flipped their situations and put Davis Mills in Mac Jones' spot in New England. I think we'd be talking about Davis Mills as being the best rookie quarterback so far, which is wild to say because I certainly didn't expect that to be the case. All right, so you've got the Titans minus the 10 points in Houston. Tanner, how do you feel about your Rams this week? (laughs) Someone said I'm fading all three of you guys. It's fair. I feel pretty good about them this week. They lost to San Francisco, but I think they'll come out and kind of establish the tone this week because they still have a shot at the – or sorry, they're looking to hold the number two spot. Yeah. They are certainly, they're they're incentivized to win here. And I like them. And that makes me afraid. I'm going to go ahead and take the Rams minus the four and a half points at home against the 49ers. I took them last week minus what, five and a half against Baltimore. That did not go well for me. Going back to the well, I'm taking the Rams minus the four and a half. And I'm going to go ahead and stick in LA. No, Tanner, this is not a West to East Coast game. But the Chargers are a three-point road favorite in Las Vegas. The Chargers are a better football team than the Vegas Raiders. Who would have thought BK likes the Chargers? I'm terrified of the Chargers getting the number seven seed and playing the Chiefs in the first round of the playoffs. I don't want that scenario as a Chiefs fan. But I think that's exactly what we're going to end up with. I'm going to take the Chargers minus the three points in Las Vegas. All right. Well, it's back to me. I'm going Steelers at Ravens. Found out Lamar Jackson's not playing because his ankle still hurts him, so he can't take the field. Um, I know Huntley's playing for the Ravens. Ravens still have a shot. Are they in the playoffs or they're outside looking in right now? Correct. The Ravens are out. They're eliminated for good. Steelers have a shot, though, right? Steelers technically have a chance. Uh, Baltimore Baltimore still technically has a chance as well. Both of those scenarios. Everything. uh, Let me put it this way. 
The Colts are the team that basically determines everybody else's fate. If the Colts win against Jacksonville, the Colts are in, and then it comes down to the Chargers or the Raiders. If they lose, that's how everybody else suddenly has a little bit of a chance. Regardless, either of these teams has to win. Minus five seems like a lot for Baltimore to win because they just have not been good. And on top of it, it's Big Ben's possibly last ride. You have that defense going against that banged-up offensive line for Baltimore. I like Pittsburgh plus five. They've been playing well so far these last couple of weeks, so I'm going Steelers plus five at the Ravens. All right, I'm going to go with a bit of a underdog here, just like Ferrario just did. Give me the Eagles at home against the Cowboys, plus five. I know the Cowboys blew them out earlier this year, 41-21. But since we've grown into flowers, as the head coach has talked about, this team's playing really well. And the Cowboys, I'm not sold on the offense. I think they come out, lay an egg, and then we're really talking about them heading into the playoffs. Give me the Eagles at home against the Cowboys, plus five. Remember when we all made fun? of the Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni, for coming out and saying that they were laying roots. And now the Eagles are like a legit playoff contender. I I am in absolute shock that that's how this ended up going. But you got to water are. those weeds. Yeah, apparently, apparently that's the way to do it. All right, my final pick of the week. I've got the Rams minus four and a half, the Chargers minus the three. I am all LA so far. Guys, I think I like the Jaguars plus 15 and a half at home against the Indianapolis Colts. Really sell you in that New England game? <laughs> I think it's been five years since the Colts won in Jacksonville, if I'm not mistaken, which is kind of a wild statistic because the Jags have been terrible basically the entirety of that stretch. And for whatever reason, weird stuff seems to happen in Jacksonville. I do not expect the Jags to win this game. It would not surprise me in the slightest if it's like 34-20, though, and that's enough to cover. So I'm going to take the Jaguars at home. 15 and a half is just too big of a number for a Colts team that doesn't have a great passing game. I'm going to take the Jags plus 15 and a half. So it comes to me for either NFL or college football. And Wait, I thought it was my pick. Guys, no, we've never true. mastered the snake draft. Okay, it's not we have. Damn pick, man. We have. Uh, so we got Saints minus three at Falcons, or I got Georgia minus two and a half against Alabama. I don't like this, but I think I'm going to go to the college football game here. Alabama's going off of a, <clears throat> excuse me, coming off of a championship. I think Georgia's going to get this one. I don't know why I'm going Georgia here, but I'm just going gut more than anything. I've taken a favorite. I've taken an underdog. I'm taking Georgia minus two and a half to be the champs against Alabama. I like that because that's who I was thinking for that one. So I'm left with the Saints at the Falcons. Saints can make the playoffs. They're still alive. Who dat? That's Matt Ryan because he's going to get the win this week. Give me the Falcons plus three and a half. I think they're going to be motivated. They're not in the playoffs, but why not send the Saints home? Taysom Hill not sold on them. Give me the Falcons plus three and a half, and the Saints will be golfing next weekend. That's that's a uh, loss once again for T-Bone. So there you have it. We have our picks for the week. Alex, I have no lean on the college football Someone national said championship. Someone Nick Saban. I should have. So I, I saw something. I don't remember the exact stat, but Nick Saban as an underdog is like that's the best bet, best bet you can make in sports is when Nick Saban is an underdog. So uh, Alex decided to go with Georgia instead. I hate my life. So that's where we're Another at. Another dub for T-Bone. Tanner this week has the Blues in a pick tonight. He has the Eagles plus the five points, and he's taking the Falcons plus the three and a half. A ballsy pick there, T-Bone. Alex has the uh, Titans minus the ten points. 
He's got the Steelers plus five, and Alex has Georgia minus two and a half in the national title game next week. And I have the Rams, the Chargers, and the Texans against the spread. Those are our picks. By the way, I mentioned it's been a long time since Indianapolis has gone down to Jacksonville and won. The last time they did so was 2014. Gentlemen, they play every year a home and a road game against one another. Are you sure? I am 100% positive. How that has happened is beyond me. It's like Tom Brady struggles down in Miami. Nobody truly understands why it's happening, but it seems to happen every single time. So I'm going to continue to ride that gravy train. In 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But coming up next, Jamie mentioned yesterday on the fast lane, three defensemen that should be worth a look for the Blues at the trade deadline. We'll let you hear who those guys are and just how much are you willing to give up in this kind of a deal? We'll look back at some history to give BR Guide next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Can you believe this guy? Can you even believe it? For once in my life. No, I can't do it. What happened? I can't, I can't sit here and say that I don't want the Blues to win. I want no, the Blues to win. He can win. He can win one, but we need the others to not work out for him. Yeah, I need I need him to go one and two. Cool. Need him to go one and Tanner two. Hendrickson is really over here claiming that he is the champion of the Pick'em Challenge when he has gone 16 and 22 T-Bone, in the you Pick'em had, this You year. had five weeks where you didn't win. You had three straight weeks where you didn't win a game. I don't think that's true. That's false information right there. I, I've got all of <laughs> the got records all here. right in front of me. He's got them all here. Over a five-week stretch, you went 1-2, 0-3, 1-2, 0-3, 1-2. And then the following week, in the sixth week, you went 0-2. It was not good for How you, buddy, you even prior go to last two? week. Did you not even make that third pick? Well, that yeah, was I the week that there was, so, there was no college football, so yeah. it was rough. All right, with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Competitive rebuilt. So yesterday on the fast lane, Jamie Rivers did a, a, a Jamie 3, if you will, he put together the three defensemen that he believes make sense for the St. Louis Blues. Now, I want you to listen to this, Alex, and we can kind of discuss where these guys rank in terms of the, the best candidates for the Blues to trade for. It's amazing because I think the asking price for a Mark Giordano would be a third or a fourth round pick. Probably that's it. For Ben Sherratt, it's probably a second or a third round pick. He's a 30-year-old left-handed shot defenseman averaging about 23 minutes a game right now for the Montreal Canadiens. And he's a UFA after the season. So again, if you don't want to be married to this player, you can file the papers and you're done in the off season. It's it's you're good to go. The last one we talked about, which is kind of like the the golden goose in all this, would be Jacob Chikrin. If the Chikrin thing is just way too expensive, it's going to put you way too far in the hole and close your window. And this is an all or nothing season. I'm not doing it. Otherwise, think- I'm looking at Giordano and Sherratt, and I'm saying these are two really great candidates. I personally would lean towards Ben Sherratt. Don't you ever interrupt the Jamie three. I know. I apologize. That's on me. That's on nobody else. Ever. That's on me for doing so. I think those are the three names. Those are the three that we've heard the most about. Those are the three that make the most sense for the Blues. Sherratt, Giordano, and Chikrin. Alex Chikrin is the guy that's going to cost the most when it comes to the prospect return. The other two, it sounds like second, third round pick, something like that is probably what you're going to be paying. Maybe a little bit less for Giordano. He's 38 years old. I think Sherratt's a first or a second. I think Giordano's a second or third. 
So you're not looking at a massive haul. You're not looking at prospects plus picks. The one that you would have to do that for is Chikrin. And maybe there's somebody else that becomes available later on uh, for that big-time return as well. How hesitant would you be to include, whether it be first-round picks or former top picks like Jake Neighbors or Scott Perunovich in a deal like this? I went back through the Blues' first and second-round pick history from 2009 to 2018 last night, Alex, because I was curious, okay, I, how many of these guys really turn out? How, how hesitant should the Blues be? In that stretch from 2009 to 2018, so finishing with Perunovich's drafts, because we just don't know enough about the guys the last couple of years to be able to truly give an honest assessment of them. By my count, the Blues had three hits on their nine first-round picks in that stretch. I included Schwartz, Tarasenko, and Thomas as the three guys that were picked uh, that you'd consider to be a quote-unquote hit so far. Thomas was the only one out of those three that was picked 20th or later, which is where we're expecting the Blues to be selecting this year. If you're looking in the second round, I would say it's either four or five quote-unquote hits out of the 14 possible picks. I included Edmondson, Barbashev, Vince Dunn. I don't know if you want to include him or not, but he was at least a valuable commodity. Look, he's a Stanley Cup champion. I mean, it's a hit if you consider that. Absolutely. Kairou and Perunovic looks like he's on the way to becoming one. So you're looking at basically a one-in-three chance that you get a significant contributor from your first or your second-round picks. Is that enough? for you to be hesitant to trade one of those commodities for a guy that you believe can help you potentially win a Stanley Cup? I think so. First of all, the problem with this, BK, and great work by you pulling these up, but all of these were Bill Armstrong's picks. So you got a completely different director of amateur scouting and a draft expert. So Good point. I mean, you don't know how he is compared to Bill Armstrong. Bill Armstrong could find those gems. Don't forget Colton Pareko, Jordan Bennington, Villahuso. These guys were selected third, fourth, fifth rounds. But with that being said, I, I, if it's me and the way I look at this, if I'm selecting 20 or higher, I think that first-round pick is going to be a little bit more important to me because other than Robert Thomas, it was Schwartz and Tarasenko that you're selecting those guys. Those guys were hits but it's very likely that you get really good prospects in the top 15 somewhere around there. But as soon as you drop below that, that's where it starts to be, okay, you got a little bit more time to go into this one. So if you're going to be selecting bottom 16, which means if you don't make the playoffs, that's where, or if you make the playoffs, that's where you're selecting. I'm making that trade. And we all can agree that this team looks like a Stanley Cup champ or a Stanley Cup contender this year. So I'm not afraid to trade a first-round pick. Because I know that, yeah, you could probably catch lightning in a bottle with one of these guys, but three out of four chances, you're going to get something that might not turn out to be something of quality towards you. But if I could get something in return that helps me win a Stanley Cup, I'm going that route. With that being said, I'm not touching a first-round pick for a rental. Only way I'm trading that first-round pick is if it's Jacob Chikrin. I'm with you there. The, the only way I'm trading a first-round pick is if it's not a rental and someone that has term on their deal like a Chikrin or, or even if they have another just one year after that on the deal, then I would consider it. But I have no concern of trading picks or trading prospects if I'm the St. Louis Blues because of what you said. This team is built deep enough that you're in, in the Stanley Cup window, and this feels like maybe the deepest they're going to be at forward. And what's the hole that we talk about? It's on the defense. So to me... If it requires me to give up some of my prospects and some of my picks, I think it's worth it because I have faith, and I understand what you were saying, that reading through those picks, those were Bill Armstrong's picks. 
Doug Armstrong was involved in that as well, so I still have faith that the Blues will be able to kind of recoup the assets that they have. And Army's just been a magician in the offseason of getting deals. I mean, look at the Pavel Buchnevich deal. That was a steal when you look at that. And he's done that multiple times in an offseason. So I have faith in the Blues being able to recoup that. And you brought up a point uh, earlier this week, you know, what if you go all in, these guys turn out to be star players, a, a Perunovic or a draft pick or neighbors, one of those one of those three. If it helps me improve to where I think it's going to make me a Stanley Cup team, I would rather have the chance to win my second cup in four years than have those prospects and always have the question of what if, if I don't end up getting to the cup. Yeah, I just trust Doug Armstrong. Like he, he traded a second-round pick. It also is probably worth noting for Pavel Buchnevich, so you don't have that in this year's draft. If you traded your first round as well, you're not picking until the third round. That could hurt you when it comes to your prospects. And if you look down in their system right now, it really is Perunovic neighbors and then the rest, and there's there's a pretty big gap between what they have in the top end and then what the rest of the, the class looks like. I, I just trust in Doug Armstrong to be able to figure that out eventually. I trust that if he were to trade, if it's the first-round pick or Neighbors or Perunovic, he seems to do a pretty good job of finding the next guy. Like, before Neighbors, it was you had that group of Costin, Kairou, and Thomas. And, yeah, Costin might not have been the guy that we expected him to be, but it looks like Thomas and Kairou are going to be exactly what we all th- hoped that they would end up becoming. And if it wasn't... Perunovic before him it was Vince Dunn and yeah Vince Dunn might not have been exactly what we all wanted him to be but he's pretty darn good and before Dunn it was Colton Pareko and before Pareko you had other guys in the system and if it goes south in the system he finds ways to find other players like even Tage Thompson who was not anything close to the player that we expected him to be although he's been better this year for Buffalo he helped you get Ryan O'Reilly, and a second-round pick is able to help you get, along with Sammy Blay, Pavel Buchnevich. I just trust Doug Armstrong's ability to replenish the system when necessary if he were to go out and make an aggressive move. Now, I'm not just getting willy-nilly and deciding, you know what, ah, yeah, I kind of like that player. Throw whatever it takes to get him. But if you think there's a guy out there, if you're Doug Armstrong, and you say, you know, it's going to take a little more than we're expecting, we, we have reached our puke point, as John Mosellock would say, I say go for it, man, because flags fly forever. And if you're able to get that next Stanley Cup as a result of a trade that is a little more overly aggressive than what other general manager would, general managers would be willing to do, I trust Doug Armstrong to be able to replenish this system and specifically replenish the National Hockey League roster in a way that I probably wouldn't with many other general managers around the league. So... A couple of really good texts on the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 from the 314. The thing about Chikrin is he solves the problem for years to come. If we don't get him, Pareko is still going to need a partner next year. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think Nico Mikola is trending in the direction of being a top four defenseman for you. I just think you need to give him some time to get there. JR had an awesome article out today on The Athletic talking about talking with Mikola and Pareko of how they've been feeling together. And Pareko said... I love playing with them. It's just we're getting to know how each other play. They've never played together on a consistent basis until this season. And Jamie has always said it takes a long time on the blue line to be able to really develop into a top four defenseman. It doesn't happen overnight. And Mikola is not that young anymore, but he's still very green when it comes to NHL playing time experience. Well, And then another one that comes in, do you guys have concerns trading for a defenseman like Chikrin, especially when the last two defensemen you acquired took a season to get acclimated, just seems scary for a stretch run? 
I don't think that's a concern for me. So whether it's Chikrin or Sherratt or Giordano, they know what their role is coming in. When you signed Justin Falk, he had no idea who he was because he came from a team where he was the number one defenseman. Then he was the number four defenseman with Bo Meester, Petrangelo, and Pareko. switching from left to right, and he was switching pairings seemingly every night. It was just a, it was a totally terrible situation. Corey Krug came to St. Louis, signs a contract already with the pressure of being the next Petrangelo, but then comes into a team that you're not allowed to go out and spend time together with. You had no idea who your teammates were other than on the ice and at practice. And his role was, hey, you got to be the quarterback on the power play. And they're f- switching things out yeah, seemingly no every other night. Um, it, it, there was no chemistry on that power play unit. So he was impacted by the lack of chemistry that was on that unit as a whole. And the only reason he struggled in your eyes is because you thought he was a shutdown defenseman. And you know who the guy is that I would point to in this situation, actually? I would go back to Marco Scandella. The best situation that he's been in in his entire in- or Blues career when you career acquired him was right after you acquired and him. that's where I was getting at with this I think it's actually benefiting you if you trade for a defenseman and bring him in midseason to a team that's contending because they know what their role is I just need to play into this system not try and be the savior and I think what's gotten away from Marco Scandella is he's trying to be Jay Bomeister he's trying to be the top four defenseman that's not his role His role is just a shutdown demon, but when you're trying to do too much, it takes you away from it. So whether it's Chikrin, whether it's Sherratt, whether it's Giordano, and someone asked if I have a couple of under-the-radar ones, I got five of them for you boys. So that's going to come up a little bit later. But it doesn't matter who you get. I'm fine trading picks. I'm I'm fine trading prospects as long as I'm getting somebody that I know is going to push me in a further direction towards being a Stanley Cup contender. But if it comes to Perunovic, neighbors, if you're talking top prospects, you got to give me something that's here for now. For the next few years, it's going to be effective for me rather than here for three months. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes, we'll get to our NFL weekend look ahead, including which matchup are you most looking forward to on Sunday? We'll do that coming up at the top of the hour. But next, it's time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Time to dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN in about five minutes or so. We're going to get to our NFL weekend look ahead. What's the upset you guys are expecting? And is there anybody playing this weekend with legitimate playoff aspirations that you think has zero chance to win the Super Bowl? We'll talk about that coming up in about five minutes or so. But Tanner, what do you have for us in the junk drawer today? All right. Well, we know the sad news from last week where we lost... Betty White, she was just about 17 days from her 100th birthday uh, when she passed away at the age of 99. She did an interview with, I believe it was People, and they asked her, you know, what what's the secret to longevity? And she said, to avoid anything green. Guys, I don't think I can do it because that's like the only thing healthy I enjoy. Salad, green beans. Tanner's a liar. I can't, I've never I can't once seen him eat anything yeah. that's not brown. He's such a liar. Tanner, Dude, you talking about bread, you eat- mac and cheese? Yeah, you came in here the other day and you said you had Olive Garden chicken marinating in your crock that pot. I he, made. He said it's not the other green. Day he I was, had green uh, beans with it. 
He also, I will credit where it's due. He also had tomato soup with uh Yeah, that was last cheese. night. That was good stuff. That's not healthy either. N- none of what Tanner eats is green. None of it. I, I don't believe you at all. Yeah. Earlier today, though, I have been uh, really enjoying my cold-pressed juice with kale, spinach, apple, pineapple, ginger, lemon, and lime. Just, Alex is really enjoying uh, this as well. That's just freaking <laughs> disgusting. It looks like pond scum. Like, that's what you were drinking. You were drinking it's moss. It's good for you, man. It's a juice cleanse. It looks like somebody scraped moss off of a tree in the woods, and they put it in a blender, poured some water in it, and said, oh, look, it's healthy. It's delicious. It's good for you. I, lo- I love everything green. So I... I mean, far be it from me to disagree with Betty White, but I, I'm just going to have to say that I disagree with her on this okay, one. Well, first of all, you never disagree with Betty White, like ever disagree with Betty White. She is an icon. But, uh, yeah, I, I call T-Bone a ultimate liar. Guys, I don't appreciate this blasphemy. I'm going to have green beans with some fried fish tonight. You know what, T-Bone? Talk about a healthy green meal. Green beans with fried fish. So T-Bone, I got left I'm going to toss a challenge at you. Oh, okay. I think you need to go an entire week of just greens. Oh, no shot. You just go straight vegetarian? Straight veggie for Look, a week. I, I would only be eating a salad, and that would be it. And I don't know if I can do that for a whole week. That's a lot. Okay, I'll change it for you. Lunch every single day this coming week, all greens. I'm talking green beans, broccoli. I'm talking salad. Look, it's only going to be salad. That's it. I actually think I could do. I could do vegetarian. I could not do vegan. Vegan. I I could do it for like a week. So vegan means you can't have poultry, fish, seafood, dairy, eggs, anything like that. I could probably do vegetarian for a week or two. I did one of those. I couldn't do it long term though. I did one of those. um, I don't even remember what it was, but it was one of those like quick like. Uh, what you call it, like where you're washing out your system diets, where literally it was just juice cleanse. Juice cleanse. Oh, yeah, it was a cleanse diet. I did it with my wife like five years ago, and it was awful. So you were probably drinking a bunch of these. No, I was time. not. I was <laughs> making protein shakes at home, but it was awful because like I, I got done with it. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to eat bad food once again. Uh, I, That's I, the challenge, T-Bone. Take it or leave it. Uh, d- we going to put money on it? If there's money on it, I'll totally do it. No, I'm not putting no, money on it. I'm trying to save no, you an extra no. five years of your life. Tanner, no, we're no. trying to get you back into the best shape of your life. So when Look. you're on Tinder, you are a lean, yeah. green, oh. T-boning machine. Prime, oh, okay, T-bone, Prime T-bone died in high school. I'm sorry. Beer you know, gut. I'm just, Beer gut. You know, and if you want to live longer, cut the alcohol out. Do, ah, do you well, think Tanner okay. could do the dry January? No. You know, that's kind of the trend this year after coming off of the two years of the pandemic. People are like, ah, I might have, might have started drinking a little too much. Uh. Now they're getting into dry January. Maybe maybe Tanner should do dry Jan and February. Oh, Whoa. man. I oh. would pay for that. I would pay for that. No. I, oh, you would? Oh, then I'm totally in if that's like, the case. Like $10. No, uh, no, not worth it. Not worth yeah, it. throw another ten bucks in. Twenty yeah, bucks. There you go, T-bone. It. I can buy like a sixteen, eighteen pack. That's your freaking bucks. rent, T-bone. <laughs> that is not my rent. I wish that was my rent. T-bone Betty White's got it right, man. In. Never go against Betty White. If you guys did decide to go vegetarian or vegan, what would be the number one thing you would miss the most while while going through it? For let's say you had to do it for a month, what would be the thing that would be the the biggest struggle? Man. Um... Probably, probably bread. I mean, I have bread with everything. Well, you can, you eat, can eat bread. bread. It's not meat. What do you mean? Oh, I guess that's true. It's just meat. Oh, I guess that's true. Fish, <laughs> poultry. That—that's the stuff that you can't. Man, do. for some. Oh, that. Okay. 
It's like eggs, anything. I was thinking more if you're that going cleanse vegan, diet. You can't do anything that's derived from from meat. So that would have been okay. Not so bread. Pro- honestly, yeah, <laughs> not bread. I don't know. Bread. <laughs> I thought bread was a part of it. I, I think the one for me, and it probably wouldn't. That was bread. Yours is hot dogs, T-Bone. No, no, it's, not necessarily, it's not necessarily food that like you make at home. I think the one that would really get me is like. When I go out to a restaurant before, like a Blues game or something, and I can't get a good cheeseburger from a bar, that's the yeah, one think, that would bother me the most. I think meat would I could, be the hardest thing. I, I could do without at home. It would be like when I go out and like that's like the perfect pregame meal—a nice burger, some fries, and instead you got to go. Yeah, I'll take a salad. So can't do it. somebody on our text line from the two one seven said, "I didn't eat red meat for two and a half years. Had a filet mignon this past New Year's, and I missed it so much." I I rarely re- eat red meat, I don't so eat that red wouldn't meat, yeah. that wouldn't be a struggle at all for me. I eat eggs every morning, so if I was going vegan, that would be the thing that is the worst for me. I just wouldn't know what to do for Wait, breakfast. You got to cut out eggs if you're, if you're a vegan, vegan. yeah, because it oh. comes from Vegetarian an animal. Vegetarian wise, I think the biggest hurdle for me would be chicken because I have chicken with like every every dinner meal. Yeah. So. I, that would be the thing for me that I would struggle with, especially because, like, if you're you do if you're eggs going, every morning, yeah, man. God, eggs get old. If you're going somewhere to eat, like if I'm going to like a Chipotle, Qdoba, whatever, the quick service type of meals, I mean, 99 percent of the time, I'm ordering something with chicken. I, I don't want tofu. So that's man. where I, I was. That. That's where I was going with the with the. So apparently, vegans. If this is correct on the Air Comfort Service text line, which they always are. Vegans do dairy free bread. And so that's why I was thinking bread there if you'd go vegan because, like, you'd be doing a different type of bread, and I don't know if I'd be able to handle that. Alongside Alex Ferrario Defended myself. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 30 minutes, we'll get to our uh, weekly edition of One's Gotta Go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. But next, huge weekend in the NFL, the final week of the regular season. Which team playing this weekend with the playoffs on the line has absolutely no shot to win the Super Bowl. We'll tell you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the NFL weekend look ahead with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's week 18, something we've never seen before in the NFL, Alex Ferrario. We are into week 18 of the season. It feels like this is the season that will never end. We have one final week of the regular season before we get to the playoffs. Alex, what's the matchup this Sunday or Saturday? We have a doubleheader on Saturday as what? well that you are most looking forward to. Mine's the Ravens and Steelers, and I know that that really won't matter. And do the Colts play before them or after them? Before uh, they at the same time Sunday night game. noon. So I think Raiders What'd are you Sunday say? night football. Steelers and Ravens are. Oh, sorry, no, I thought you said Raiders. No, They're yeah, both you're at right. Noon. No, Col- Steelers Ravens. Colts okay, play the Jags at noon. So that's Steelers gonna, Ravens. Is at that's going to be the most intriguing one for me because I think. I think that one has a lot of, obviously it has playoff implications, but for the way that Pittsburgh has been playing, and of course with the Ben Ben Roethlisberger narrative, and then on top of it, I I mean, I don't think John Harbaugh is going to lose his job at all, but like a lot of people are going to be talking about Baltimore if they miss the playoffs this year, and I know Lamar's been out, they've had a ton of injuries, but that feels like a massive step back for Baltimore, so that's the one I'm watching. Tanner, you're up next, I'm assuming you're going to be taking the, the gimme? 
No, I'm is that actually, an east-west I'm, coast game? I'm not, it's not an east. It's west to east. Get it right. Oh, sorry, buddy. You mess up, you're really going to be picking the wrong team. Uh, I, I've got two, and one is going to be Saturday. It's Cowboys-Eagles. I took the Eagles on the plus uh, five, I believe is what it was. I, I'm very interested to know if they can beat this Cowboys team because the Cowboys offense looked terrible against Arizona. And if the Eagles can beat them, I feel they're not a Super Bowl team, but I feel comfortable in taking them as possibly having an upset in the first round of the playoffs. And then the other one for me is, of course, my Rams. I'm going to be watching them against the 49ers. 49ers absolutely dominated them on Monday Night Football in San Fran. I'm very curious to see how they react, how they play. They're hoping to get that number two seed. And Cam Akers returns this weekend. He's going to have a very limited role. I want to see him in action as well. I'm curious to see the way that the San Francisco 49ers play that one because there's not a ton of difference in what their situation is going to be there. They're basically locked into the six or seven seed. I mean, they, they could technically miss out, but it's it's very unlikely. So I, I don't know how much they're going to be playing to win in that game. The Rams, meanwhile, have a lot to play for in that one. Like they they could they could all go all the way down to the five seed. Technically, they they're all over the place depending on what the results are this weekend. So I'm interested in that one as well. I'll go ahead and take the gimme since you guys did it. And I thought you would. It, it's the Sunday night football game. Chargers versus Raiders. Almost certainly for a playoff spot. Winner Not of for the Raiders, game. though, right? Uh, the Raiders still need to win to get in, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, they do. So it, it, whoever is the winner of that game essentially clinches their own faith. Uh, so I'm going Chargers-Raiders. That's a really fun game. It's in Las Vegas. Chargers are one of the more enjoyable teams to watch, even if they're not one of the best teams in the league this year. And, man, do not overlook them as a team that can legitimately upset the Chiefs in the AFC in the first round. I, I'm i scared of them. That's the team that I don't want to play in the first round of the AFC playoffs. So Chargers-Raiders is a really interesting one. Uh, the Raiders could go all the way up to the sixth seed because they currently hold the tiebreaker over the Colts. All right, what's the upset you guys are expecting this weekend? Is there one that you've got your... Uh, you've got circled right now as being, okay, that, that's a little interesting to me. These are always tough in Week 18 because you don't know what the incentives are for teams to actually play it out. You know, T-Bone mentioned this in his uh, in his pick'em, and for once I'm actually going to uh, agree with T-Bone on something in our pick'ems, but I think the Eagles can get an upset against the Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys, man, they're up and down for me for some reason, and I, I, I've never once believed in Jalen Hurts, but I wonder if that Philly defense can – put a little pressure on Dak and the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, the ground game has just not been there for them this season. So, yeah, I, I think I might take the Eagles as an upset. I have, are, 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 Is Dallas sitting anybody? Do we know? Not that I've seen. I think they're playing most of their starters. I haven't seen anything. It's weird because their their game doesn't have a ton of playoff implications for them. Like, they're going to be the 2, 3, or 4 seed no matter what. Yeah. I, I don't know what to expect out of them. So I'm going to avoid the two upsets that I had in the pick, I mean, which was Atlanta and You're Philly. avoiding the ones that you took? Oh, okay, yeah. good. Guys? It's a lot of hope. It's time to get a little frisky on these upset picks. Oh, my God, here. he's this taking the Lions. Give me the Lions. That's I right. I actually am with him. That Jared was my Goff pick. Jared is back. Green Bay has nothing, legitimately nothing to play for because they Did have the ones he locked up. what Jordan Love looked like against the Chiefs? He looks terrible. Woof. And he's probably going to start in this game. I'm taking the line. And it, this Sorry, is something boys. we've seen a lot of times, too, in that final week is you've got a team that has nothing to play for. They go out. It's the final game of the year. They play hard. 
the other team, even if they're starting their starters, sometimes doesn't look that great. As you mentioned, sounds like Jordan is probably going to start this game. Give me the Lions. I think they win their third game of the year. Jared Goff probably still stinks, and they have to run it with Swift, but I'll take the Lions. Yeah, that's, no that's my pick as well. I, I'm right there with you, Tanner. I agree the Lions would be my pick. If you're not going with the Lions, though, if you want to look for another one, uh, one that I could see that that is not that crazy to imagine Seahawks over the Cardinals at 325 on Sunday afternoon. That wouldn't shock me either. Uh, and then the last one that I would maybe point to is the same one that Tanner decided to pick in our pick em, Falcons over the Saints. Uh, the Saints just don't really do anything for me. In fact, I'm going to be rooting for the Falcons just so I have no chance of seeing the Saints in the playoffs. I have no interest in watching them as a playoff team. And that gets us to our next question. Alex, who are the teams that are still in play for the postseason that you think, you know what, even if they make it, no shot, no shot at all of getting to the Super Bowl once they play in the first round? Well, I I think from the one that I said earlier where you have the Ravens and Steelers, either of those teams get in no shot. But I'm going to go more of a clear cut. I'm going 49ers-Rams. Nobody from that game is going to the Super Bowl. Whoa. Really? Yeah. Whoa. It's it's Packers or bust in my opinion in the NFC. I don't the Rams the Rams are way too flaky and I just don't know if I trust the 49ers and Jimmy G. I, I, I just the Packers to me are the clear cut, and then I just told you guys during break, apparently Antonio Brown is just deciding why not see if we can piss Tom Brady off enough to win a Super Bowl because he just said on a podcast that Brady needs Antonio Brown to oh, win okay. a Super Bowl, so I think there's two clear-cut teams in the NFC that are going to be Super Bowl contenders, and neither of them are from that matchup. Wow, that kind of surprises me. Because I, I, I could see, I see four teams that I think are Super Bowl teams in the NFC. That's Green Bay, Rams, Tampa, and Arizona. I'm not even going to put Dallas in that conversation. Woo-hoo! I don't trust Dallas enough what to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, and then out of the AFC, I can see the Titans, Chiefs, Bengals, and that's it. Bangles. That's the only three. I don't have enough Chargers. trust. Chargers. I don't have enough trust in the Chargers. Do it. I don't have enough faith in Josh Allen. I don't trust Mac Jones in the playoffs, even though I what? love that Patriots defense. He's How a rookie. Do you not trust Mac Jones. He's he had the Patriots as the best team in the AFC for 13 weeks. Yeah, he's stuck by now it every year. Final week every week. Like, to be ah, fair, no everybody in the AFC has spent time at the top. <laughs> not true. Not the Bengals. That's actually a good point. Whatever. BK hates them. I got three in the AFC. Only reason they won last week was because of the refs. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah. There it is. The only teams in the AFC that are currently alive for the playoffs that cannot win the Super Bowl, in my opinion. I actually do agree with Tanner. I don't know how the Patriots would be able to do it. I can't see the uh, Indianapolis Colts getting there. No chance of either. I'm with you on this, Alex. The Raiders or the Steelers. So I have the Raiders. Five teams in the AFC. Tennessee, KC, Cincinnati, Buffalo, and the Chargers. Those would be my five teams in the AFC. On the NFC side of things, I actually agree with Tanner's list for the most part, but I would add Dallas onto my list. I think there's five teams that could do it. I'm flaky on the Cardinals, though. I'm not so sure. I I, I might even flip his pick of Dallas and Arizona. Green Bay, the Rams... Cowboys and Bucks for sure. I'm, I'm hitting miss on the Cardinals. How but. can you say Rams for sure when they have been so flaky? Because their ceiling is good enough to be able to do it. Yeah. It, it, it would not surprise me if two weeks from now we're like, wow, the Rams scored 40 points in both of their first two games of the playoffs and their offense looks unstoppable. It also, Alex, to your point, 
wouldn't surprise me if we see them get lo- get a loss in the yeah. first round and Matt Stafford had three interceptions and we're all sitting here like, man, did they make a mistake in signing up for Matt Stafford for the next three to five years? I'm already thinking so that. I, I, neither of those two things would surprise me if we're talking about them two to three weeks from Guys, now. they could be I, in the I mean, quarterback. The Rams could be in the quarterback market again this offseason. Yeah, go for, no, go, go for Aaron Rodgers. Hey, that's what you said no, last last offseason, too. Yeah. BK. There's no chance the Rams move on from Matt Stafford after this year. They are pot committed with this guy, man. They, they are all in with Matt Stafford and this current iteration of the Rams. Uh, there, there's just no way. There's no. They, they don't have any assets Look, at this point, man. I, I, they I, traded everything. Hey, I agree with you, but at this point, I'm not putting anything past the guys running the L.A. Rams out there. 65780 is the air covered service text line from the 314. BK picked more than half of the playoff field as legitimate contenders. Way to go out there on a limb. That's what I think makes this year's playoff so much fun. Normally, I don't do that. Normally, I say there's like four teams total from AFC and NFC that can win the Super Bowl. I don't feel that way this year. And that's what makes it so exciting as we're going into week 18. Man, when was the last time we saw a playoff field this wide open? I mean, in the past, it's been in the AFC. You've got either... Brady, Mahomes, or Manning. One of those three is going to be in the Super Bowl representing the AFC. And in the NFC, most years you go into it thinking, okay, it's one of these two or three teams. This year it's not that way. So that, that's what I think is the most fascinating about this year in the in the postseason is it's more wide open than I can remember probably in a decade. Like you got to go back to Joe Flacco taking the Ravens to the Super Bowl. To, all of to those other this, teams, this wide open. all those other teams in the NFC West, I'm, I'm just not in on. It, it's it's really Packers, and I don't even think I believe the Buccaneers as a contender, but because of Tom Brady, at least I, you have to mention them. To me, it's Packers. That's the clear-cut contender in the NFC this season. They would be my favorite as well. Yeah. I, my, my favorites to get to the Super Bowl are still Packers and Chiefs, but it also wouldn't surprise me if the Chiefs lost in the first round. And, and that's what's, what makes it so fascinating. Last year, I never yeah, would have The seen. AFC sucks. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, Whoa. I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, it's time for one guy to go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us four options. We will tell you which ones got to go. But coming up next, man, I've been waiting for this all day long. The latest edition of the Ferrario 5. Alex's five defensemen that are worthy of consideration for the Blues to trade for. We'll get it next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let me be clear here. I still like the idea, and those are the best options, I think, on the market for the Blues and probably the most likely ones that you can acquire in Chikrin, Giordano, and Sherratt. Um, I'm starting to warm up to the idea of Sherratt and Giordano. Those two I'm starting to really warm up to. But for the purpose of this segment, I'm thinking, you know what? Let's get crazy with this because I think there's other names out there that the Blues should be really looking at to go acquire to to shore up that top four. You ready for this, boys? Tanner, over under one and a half that we've heard of prior to this list. Oh, under for sure. Okay. We were trying one to guess. One and a half? Like, we were just trying to guess letters of last names last night. Uh, and we were I not take, doing well. I take the over. Yeah, you guys are sending me like letters being like, does his name start with this? I thought for sure Keith Yandel was going to be on this list. This, this, isn't isn't for e. this is in category, guys. Like, come on now. So, look, I have an honorable mention. And the only reason he's not on my list is because I think it'd be tough to get him because his team is playing actually really well. And he's got a no movement clause. But it's Mark Stahl. The former 12th overall pick, the former New York Ranger, six foot four, 208 pounds. I actually know that one. He's a vet. 
he's actually doing really well for Detroit. He's a plus five in 27 games. I don't think he's injured. I think he just came back from an injury, but plays nasty. He used to be a top defenseman for the New York Rangers. He's dropped off, but he's one of those vets. Again, he's an honorable mention because I think he's going to take a lot to get from Detroit, but I like the idea if they start to fall apart in the Eastern Conference. Not of the actual top five. You'll all know this name. He's a Stanley Cup champion. Been to another Stanley Cup final. Our friend Joel Edmondson. I wasn't sure if he was going to be on this list. I had to put him on this list because, look, if you're going to call for Ben Sherratt and Ben... Now, here's the thing with Edmondson. He has not played a game yet this season for Montreal. He's been injured. So you don't know what his health situation is. But I think this is kind of a situation like the Blues had with David Perron, where he wasn't going to hit his full potential in St. Louis if he stayed here the whole time. So you want him to go. You want him to grow a little bit here. And you know you moved on from Joel Edmondson and the ability to bring in Justin Falk. He goes to Carolina, performs well, makes the playoffs. Then he goes to Montreal and he becomes one of their top defensemen. I think it might be an opportunity to reunite with Joel Edmondson and have him as a top four defenseman. He's got a back injury. So that's what I was worried about. Yeah. Now, they said that he was hoping to get back this season, so if he's back, this might be a trade deadline move if Ben Sherratt is somebody that you can't get. God, I just hate messing with back injuries. Yeah, but you've got two years left on that deal at $3.5 million per season. Look what he did last year, though. I, I mean, if he is at 100%, you feel great about it, but we saw with Colton Pareko last year, he was just never himself. Yeah. He was never able to really overcome that back injury, and they don't seem concerned about it long term, and he's played better this year, certainly. He's but. 28 years old. Yeah. I mean, you talk about putting him back into a core. Him and Colton Pareko playing together, my God, that would be a good team. And so it def- He's definitely got the size that you're looking for. And yeah. If he is back to being at 100%, I mean, it's it's exactly what you need on the back end. So yeah. I understand why you would have to include him on a list like so this. So number four on this list is another St. Louis native, which is why B- uh, T-Bone and BK, you guys lose this bet of the over-under, being the under at one and a half, Scott Mayfield. Now, Scott Mayfield, if you look at it, he he's labeled as a right shot defenseman but he plays the left side with new york another physical dude six foot five 220 not playing well this season but nobody is for the islanders but i go to the last two seasons when they played 22 games in the playoffs and he had 12 penalty minutes 19 games the next year and 25 penalty minutes dude is not afraid to get rough in front of his net and i love the idea if he's comfortable on the left side putting him with Colton Pareko and you putting size, a stay-at-home defenseman that allows Colton Pareko to jump up into the rush. Is he better or worse than Sherratt and Giordano? I think he's... As a player, forget the age, forget everything, because I'm only looking for this year. Is he better or worse right now than those two guys? I think he's better than Giordano. I would say Sherratt's going to have a little bit more of an advantage um, just because he's a natural on the left side and because he's used to the central division. That's my hesitation with Scott Mayfield. He's been in the Eastern Conference his entire career. I don't know if he I don't know if he expects what the central division looks like, but I mean look, he plays nasty, so if you're not gonna get Sherratt, I think he might be the next step down for you. Number three on this Ferrari 05 defenseman not named Sherratt Giordano and Jacob Chikrin. Robert Hag. Never heard plays of for play. That's what I figured. Plays for the Buffalo Sabers. Six foot two, two hundred and seven pounds. He was with the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, again, you look at his minus twelve this season. You're like, eh, not on, not in on this guy. But when he was with Philly, 2019, 2020, he was a plus fourteen 
and played 12 games in the playoffs with him. Another physical presence, another heavy defenseman at six foot two. I think he's an unrestricted free agent after this year. Yeah, he's he's the most cost effective of any and of the guys Buffalo, that we talked about. Buffalo, one point seven million dollars. Buffalo's got like nine defensemen locked up. Buffalo's not going anywhere. So when Buffalo falls out of it, this would be a guy. And he's a Swedish defenseman where those guys like to play rough and tumbling like the Finns do. So uh, I would be interested in calling Buffalo up. Now the problem is Buffalo might not answer a phone call if Doug Armstrong's name comes up on caller ID. But I, I think. He's got a little familiarity with um, some of the players on the Blues roster. I think you might take a chance on this one. Only reason I'm not sure I'm interested is because I wonder if he's more of a third-pairing defenseman than a first-pairing. I say that because uh, you look at his ice time. Yeah. He's been around the 15 to 17 mark for the vast majority of his career. I'm looking for a guy that can play 20 well, minutes plus with Colton Parade. And, and the problem with that, too, is he's played on two teams that have had top defensemen. Like Buffalo this year has Rasmus Dahlin, who's a left shot guy. And then in Philly, you got um, uh, Gosta Spear, I think his name is. He's so like they've had guys up there. So if you're not out on him, can I interest you at number two on my Ferrari 05? His name is Ali Mata, plays for the LA Kings. T-Bone? No, I thought you were about to say Ollie Marmol. Okay, no, not Ollie Marmol. He's not, he's worried about the Cardinals right now. This is a guy who was formerly a 22nd overall pick by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Six foot two, 206 pounds. Here's the thing. He plays for the Kings. Kings are in a playoff spot, but I don't think they will be once you get to that trade deadline. He's an unrestricted free agent after this year. L.A.'s looking to retool as they're trying to get back into contention. You'd probably have to put some prospects with this. But I love the way that this guy plays. Plays nasty, but also has a little bit of an offensive presence with him. He's Finnish, so he kind of matches. He, he identifies into what Nico Mikola is, but with a little bit more experience under his belt. He played for Chicago a couple of years ago. He's been in the playoffs, what is it, five out of the nine seasons he's been in the NHL. I think he would be a really good addition to this Blues team. Is he a top four guy, though? Definitely. You think? He was a top four guy in Pittsburgh. And the defense that Pittsburgh used to have. Yeah, he just, the last three years, he's been a guy that's playing about 16 minutes on the ice. Again, though, you got Drew Doughty on that team. And Drew Doughty, who's a lefty, is playing like 25 minutes a night. I get it. He, he is expensive. He's about $4 million. But if they were willing to take on the offset money of Marco Scandella, uh, Scandella that's probably the way that you're able to make this work money-wise. Um, it's an interesting one. I, I still think the guys that we're talking about here, Edmondson, if healthy, I'm very much interested in. Otherwise, I think I'm still looking at Giordano or Sherratt as as my best case scenarios here. All right, you're gonna, number one? You're going to really love this one. And some people might really hate this one. Ryan Graves from the New Jersey Devils. Remember that name from the Colorado yeah. Avalanche? Let me give you. You guys remember I love Mongoons. Six foot five, two hundred and twenty pounds. That's what I'm looking for. He is twenty. He is twenty six years old. He was a plus forty with Colorado in the 2019-2020 season. Plus forty, and he's not even an offensive guy. He had twenty six points. Now he was playing on a team that had a lot of offensive weapons, but I love the way Ryan Graves plays because I hated him so much when he played for Colorado. Now, this one's going to be tough. This one will require some prospects. I'm thinking not as much as Jacob Chikrin, but close to it. I don't know if New Jersey would even be interested in trading him because he's 26. He's got one more year of control, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. But if New Jersey doesn't feel like they're contending and maybe they want to take a chance on a Scott Perunovich, I think you could get this guy, and I think this guy is somebody who has term and you might be able to bring back. This is the first one that I'm like, okay, yeah, 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. If you're able to get Ryan Graves and you bring him in here, he would immediately be a top, a legitimate top four defenseman for the Blues. He's making three million bucks this year, about a three point two million dollar cap hit over the next couple of seasons. That's not anything that's going to be uh, harmful to the to the Blues cap situation. If you send back, for example, Nico Meek, or excuse me. Um, if you send back Scandella in this kind of a deal, you actually end up coming out ahead a little bit money-wise. I guess the question would be, what kind of package do you think it would take? Like, are we talking first-round pick plus a prospect plus Scandella? I think so. I, I think, well, here's the thing. If you're going to include Scandella in anything, you're going to have to add another asset to it because somebody's not going to take on that length and contract if they're not getting an asset in return. It's just, it's just determining how New Jersey views their team. I mean, they're in a playoff competition right now. I don't think they will be towards the end of the season. I think this is probably going to be a starting point of a Scott Perunovic in a first-round pick. You might have to throw in maybe a goaltender, although I don't think they need a goaltender. You might need a Klim Kostin. But for me, if, if the package is Perunovic, Kostin, and a first-round draft pick, I'm going to pull the trigger on that because I really, really like Ryan Graves. You put Ryan Graves with Colton Pareko and then have Mikola on your third pairing, that is a dangerous that is the size that you have been looking for to replace Petrangelo and Bowmeister. So how do these guys rank for you? How many of these players on your Ferrari 05 would you have above Sherat or Giordano? I would have Graves above both of those guys. Honestly, I would have Ali Mata above those guys because I think he brings the physical presence, but I would have Sherat above the other three on this Ferrari 05, and I would have Joel Edmondson above Mark Giordano. Mark Giordano, to me, I, I would rather him, but if I can get Joel Edmondson, I'll take him. But for me, I, I would put Ryan Graves above Jacob Chikrin because I think Ryan Graves, he knows how to play in the Central Division. He knows how to play the Colorado Avalanche. This dude is a physical player. I think he would match the identity of the Blues to a T. I like it. That's your Ferrari 05 for today. It's a good one. And these are the types of names that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months as we lead into the trade deadline. I guarantee you, Doug Armstrong's having conversations like this right now, putting up his board. Okay, if we do end up needing a left-handed defenseman to pair with Colton Pareko and we decide Mikel is not the guy, who are our options and how do we power rank those guys, especially when it comes to what it's going to cost to go out there and acquire him? Chikrin's obviously right up the, at or near the top of the list. It's going to take a ton to get him. And then I think in that next tier, these are names that we can start talking about in addition to Shira and Giordano, who we've already had a bunch of conversations about. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. 
so we'll get to one's got to go. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go here in just a moment. But there's some news in college football locally. Mizzou, according to Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports, is hiring former Indiana defensive line coach Kevin Peoples to coach their defensive line. He's the previously champ. been at Tulane, Arkansas, and Arkansas State. Uh, Mizzou had Al Davis coaching their defensive line. No, not that win, Al baby, Davis. Win. Um, this season after they fired Jethro Franklin, and he did a really good job after he took over, their defensive line started playing better. So I'm a little surprised to see this. I'll be interested to find out if Al Davis ends up staying on staff. Uh, but that's a little bit of news in college football. He's going to the Raiders. I think that Al Davis has moved on. With the Angels? Yeah. They're in the lockout. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's get to One's Gotta Go. One's Gotta Go Protein Powder Flavor Edition. Chocolate, vanilla, cake batter, or strawberry, Alex? Oh. Which protein powders gotta go? So, quick question. Do you guys do protein powder with water or milk? I used to do it with milk. I haven't had protein powder since I was in high school. See, to I, I, I can't do milk because lactose intolerance seems to ruin my life. So I do it with water, which is going to sway my decision on this. I've never tried cake batter or strawberry. would imagine those two are going to be goats when it comes to this. So it comes down to vanilla or chocolate. And I'm going to get rid of vanilla because vanilla with water, protein powder, is disgusting. Just pure nastiness. At least... Water with chocolate tastes a little bit better, so uh, vanilla's got to go in this one. Oh, see, I think this is easy. It's strawberry. Get strawberry out of here. I can handle vanilla, chocolate, and cake batter. Not in on the strawberry, so that one's got to go. Yeah, strawberry's the one for me as well. This is no doubt. No, yeah. like, How do you no guys not like strawberry? I'm out on strawberry. What's wrong with Although, you? Although cake batter is right up there for me. I, cake batter is a little too sweet. I, I don't need all of that. That's my problem. I can do chocolate or vanilla. The sweetness in the cake batter and the strawberry. I, honestly, you could eliminate both of them, and I'd be fine with it. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for One's Gotta Go. One Gotta Go Cut of Steak Edition. A porterhouse, filet mignon, ribeye, or New York strip. Which one's gotta go, boys? Which cut of steak are you getting rid of? I think I'm getting rid of the filet mignon. Uh, no, no, I can't do that. That's too good. I'm going porterhouse here. I do love me some ribeye. Too uh, big? Too much meat for you? Dude, on the radio. Yeah. Strip steaks, the goat. Porterhouse is just a combination of a filet and a strip. Well, why would I get a combination when I can have both? And then I, I can't get rid of a filet mignon. What? If I'm going to have a – that's just one steak, BK. It's two. It, it, it's literally yeah, both of them. But it's one it's piece like a T-bone. Of, you get both. Whoa. You, you get, get the ribeye and the strip. It, it, no. <laughs> Porterhouse is going to be one piece of meat on a plate. You could bring me two plates with two separate meats and a ribeye and a strip steak. So I'm going to get rid of the Porterhouse. But the Porterhouse has the, the T in it, and you got Don't, the two sides. Hey, man. It's two steaks. This is one's got to go for I, all I of us. I highly recommend the T-bone steak. I have to say <laughs> so Flamin myself. Yon's Tanner, though. which one's got to go? I think I'd get rid of the Flamin' Yon. I, I mean, this is a tough choice. I mean, I like all four, but I think I would get rid of that one for sure. Yeah, that that's the one for me as well. I, I like a little bit more a little more marble in my steak. Marble? R- yeah, ri- like ribeye is my go-to typically. I like a strip as well. So if I've got to get rid of one of these, I'm going with the filet. 65780 is the air comfort service text line uh, for one's got to go. One got to go music genre. Blues, country, rock, or heavy metal? I don't know why we do this because you get rid of country every single time, but you won't give it every, any chance. Heavy metal to me has to go. I like rock way too much. 
country. I love country. And blues, I mean, it's St. Louis. What are you doing here? You might get rid of blues because you hate St. Louis. Wow. God, I had emos last week and said it was great. It was delicious, wasn't it? Yeah, heavy metal's got to go here for me. See, I think I would get rid of country. I'm just not a big country fan. I can handle heavy metal. Give it a try, man. Nah, you just can't do it. It's all about a sad song, you know, and something's happened. It's not all about a yeah, sad it is. song. Yeah, it is. Well, Barnes it's either a guy who broke up with a girl or the guy that's going yeah. to get drunk tonight. Like, it, it's all the same three different storylines in yeah, country, really. It is. Barnes will I, confirm. I've got to go heavy metal, though. You guys know I, I am certainly not manly enough to get down there in one of those pits to be Mosh pushing pits. every yeah I, i'm good i was involved with one of those once and i got a right hook to the face so i'm out on those from when now on kevin wheeler was hosting the show and i was his producer this was a few years ago now he would always try to get me to go to one of his concerts i'd be like yeah, wheels i i'm out I, i'm just not built for this yeah. i'm built for a lot of things that ain't one of them uh six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line for one's gotta go one gotta go new year's resolution edition eat healthier exercise more save more money or drink less alcohol which one's <laughs> one of those i've got to go well, i can get a started yeah i think i can get a start with this one too i am not drinking less alcohol this year i'm gonna yeah, start out with that i'm that gonna just not happen i'm gonna start out with that one too i uh i don't overindulge myself unlike a couple of my co-workers but uh, yeah, I do I do enjoy me a nice glass of whiskey every once in a while. So, yeah, that, that alcohol is not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm with you You've there. already given up uh, the uh, the health or the unhealthy side of things, yeah, T-Bone. No, so. I'm not doing that. I like me some good meat. Uh, let's see. And then it's what's safe? Well, I got to save money. So I would have to say it's the working out one. I'll just go for walks. It's not a workout, but you know what? Why not? I'll walk for five walks. miles. Tanner is 70. He's 70 years old. Listen to some He's music. technically 21. If I don't have my walks every day, I won't be feeling good the next morning. Do you think Tanner's quietly, without telling us, has been going to the mall for his walks lately? Oh my God, dude, in a sweat in a sweatsuit, too. He, he made fun of my it, it sweater, but he's in a sweatsuit. That's actually a good idea. Maybe I will become a mall walker when it becomes winter. Good idea, guys. 65780 is the air comfort service tech line for one's gotta go one gotta go cold food edition oh baby chili beef stew or jambalaya isn't it jambalaya that was jambalaya jambalaya i've never had jambalaya like what what goes into jambalaya does anybody know it's just rice sausage yeah it's like rice a spicy sausage that's about it it's kind of a cheesy rice too that's pretty much it I, I don't like that just from the sound of it, but I really don't like beef stew. Chili has to stay here. I think I'm going to get have to get rid of the jambalaya, though, because that doesn't sound enticing. Chicken, sausage, shrimp, and rice. That is a whole lot of stuff. That sounds delicious. I'm going to keep that. Beef stew has to go now. I'm it changing my like mind. sounds like something that would upset Alex's stomach. Oh, yeah, <laughs> but you know what? It's one of those things like ice cream. I'll take the chance. Beef stew for me. I'm just not a big beef stew guy. I don't, I've never liked beef never stew. You've never had a good beef stew. You, you, you honestly I mean, look like a beef stew guy, T-Bone. Oh, I love a good beef stew. Put some carrots in there, Pot some potatoes. Roast. Yeah. It's cool. his favorite. Of course it is. <laughs> I, I would keep that, and I would keep chili. Jebelaya, to me, is, I understand it's probably a cold food one, but it, to me, it doesn't just fit winter. Those those other two fit, and plus, the last jambalaya I made was awful. I don't know what I did wrong, but, oh, gosh. <laughs> he really came into work the next day with leftovers. He was like, I don't want to eat this. It was so bad. 
like, then don't eat it, Tanner. He's like, yeah, but I got to. He's poor. I got to. He's poor. He's got to eat whatever he has. It was so painful. T-Bone's the one of the guy. He opens up his fridge and he's like, okay, what are my options? A slice of cheese or beef stew? I guess I got beef stew. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line. We'll finish things out for one guy to go on this one. One's got to go pizza topping edition. Cheese, pepperoni, buffalo chicken. Cheese, pepperoni, buffalo chicken, or barbecue chicken. Those four. Which one's got to go? I'm going cheese. I like actually something yeah. on my pizza as opposed to just the regular cheese. I know that's probably what Tanner's been eating his whole life. That's he remembers not true. It from three years ago when no. he was in elementary school and they would give him the square pizza. It helps stop him up, you know. Yeah. yeah. I'm going cheese pizza. Cheese has go. to go here. I hate agreeing with you, BK, especially in the last one of the week. Um, but I uh, got to go with it here because pepperoni, I love me some pepperoni and buffalo chicken and barbecue chicken are great. So, uh, yep, cheese has got to go. I'm going cheese well. That's too plain. I'm not a fan of barbecue chicken Damn on pizza, it, we but all I'd rather have that same. over cheese. We all ended on the same. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll wrap a bow on this thing with the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. anything from today's show be sure to check out the podcast page it's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers it's available on 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app if you check it out over there you'll hear Ferrario's five the five defensemen worth consideration for the Blues at the deadline you mentioned Joel Edmondson Scott Mayfield Robert Hogg and Alibata along with Ryan Graves. Those were the five that he mentioned. We can go ahead and eliminate one of them, Alex. If you're going into a little bit more of a deep dive in some of these guys, I think I'm out on this Alimata character. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know days. much about him other than what I have seen in the past and uh, people that I, when they've matched up together between the Blues and Kings. Um, but apparently his numbers don't look great. Not good. Not good at all. Uh, the numbers are very, 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 very bad. But, so we but, will go ahead and take him off of the list. But you know they're what they mostly say, team stats, so it's fine. But you know what they <laughs> say about analytics guys they don't count that's right that's right they don't count at all it's all team stats and yeah. it's probably just because his uh his teammates the, the are, team are, are playing really poorly in front of them other yeah. than the fact that literally every other defenseman on the team has better numbers than him well that, with alex ferrario they have a better team play and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley we will talk to you guys on monday at 11 coming up next it's the great trio of Anthony Stalter and Jamie Rivers and Brad Thompson here on 101 ESPN. But according to your BK and Ferrario Pick'em expert, T-Bone himself, take the Blues on the money line tonight. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.